Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 25th of April, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And Tom Senior. Hello. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. On Good the evening. eve of the storm. The storm is here to yeah. claim us all. I think it's stopped now, or at least I can't see it out the window. It's because the curtains are closed, Tom. But I can see through the curtains. Okay. So unique vantage. I see. <laughs> I see. I didn't understand that you, your perspective was not mine. Mm. As I've learned something that From even a two-year-old knows. <laughs> From your perspective, the curtains are evil. <laughs> I was going to have to do that, but... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. There's no joke there. So, indeed, what would so you? I stopped, and yet. <laughs> and yet. And yet. Um, so yeah, we uh, are in the midst of a, a summer hailstorm that is the most exciting thing that's happened in Bath. <laughs> to <Today>. generation. <laughs> um, in more exciting news than the fact that it's a bit wet outside, we have a great big gollop of news deposited on... <laughs> the internet today yes. uh julian gollop has uh, has announced uh he's making an xcom like game and launched the crowdfunding thing for it which is on fig which is the uh sort of uh, indie game funding kickstarter type thing that is partially backed by double fine or sort of launched in conjunction with double fine i don't know um and it's called phoenix ah <laughs> uh, uh rising <laughs> extreme podcast voice that was the podcast voice of a generation <laughs> do you want me to Phoenix check uprising uh yeah this is... i'll continue describing it while you google okay. it <laughs> um and it's much like xcom uh but it's kind of it's set in a, like a post-apocalypse um and the apocalypse is not that aliens invaded it's that a uh long dormant disease in some melted ice came out and i don't know wiped everyone out um uh, but also turned people into mutants that are partially animals and partially humans and and maybe a bit cyborg but then the trailer says uh, we didn't realize until too late that they were alien and so i guess they're alien mutant animal beasts <laughs> given that um uh given that alien viruses trapped in ice that do weird things to people is literally quite a big x-files plot point and there is an xcom you know uh, owed something to, I guess, X Files and Alien Invasion stuff. I think that's probably why it's called X something. Hmm. I imagine this seems to be like you know, there's a link there. It's still rooted firmly in '90s Alien Invasion, yeah, theory <laughs> territory. It's called Phoenix Point, by the way. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how long I could string that out. Um, and the fact that the Earth is kind of um uh pre ruined <laughs> means that there's a whole bunch of I think like semi tribal factions that you have to deal with and so they're like there's a diplomacy excuse me diplomacy aspect to it i think um and the trailer they launched looks very much like xcom 2 um or sorry xcom the re <laughs> the recent Firaxis xcom and xcom 2 uh where it's kind of cinematic and 3d i don't actually know how in game that stuff is um mm. and it's a very kind of cinematic trailer in that there's sort of big monster reveals in it um some of the monsters look kind of... One of the monsters looks a lot like a Mirelurk from Fallout. Um, the kind of hunch shell things. And then there's a really, really big one with a tiny human head that made me laugh out loud when I saw it. <laughs> I mean, actually, the whole post-apocalyptic thing makes me think of Fallout, not just mm. modern Bethesda Fallout, but traditional sort of isometric ta squad tactic strategy Fallout. Yeah. I feel like XCOM 2 beaten to a punch a little bit in terms of the... 
looks like a strong theme of this is that you're kind of a ragtag group of rebels um and that's very much why xcom 2 at least that's the difference between xcom 2 and xcom 1 mm. was that it was more about um an improvised defense than a well-organized military um the other thing they showed is that uh that myelurk type enemy they showed a whole load of variants on it where like on this one his right arm is a machine gun on this one it's like a big armored thing and um uh they say that the enemies will adapt to your tactics mm. so i guess i'm assuming i don't know actually uh when i heard it i assumed that meant sort of between missions like oh you got a lot of headshots on that mission so now they've they're putting got on big heads, their, their or tougher smaller heads. heads. <laughs> <laughs> like getting rid of that tiny human head yeah and, uh, well, no, that'd be a good thing to have. If you have a huge body and a tiny head, you're probably less vulnerable to headshots. Maybe the ultimate move is to remove their heads entirely so that they can't be shot. The only um, winning move is not to play. Yeah. The game of having a head. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Headlander is all about. Um, I'd, I'm not mega optimistic about... Well, I don't know. I, I'm actually just very coloured by something that um, uh, came up in... An interview uh, our friend Alex Wiltshire did with the creator of um, Top Down Game, where you have like a bunch of soldiers fighting off waves and waves of insecty enemies, and you have to kind of capture different points and stuff. Uh, infested Planet, right? Um, and he wrote a system for having the enemies adapt to your tactics, and like you know, if you use a load, load of flamethrowers, then fire resistant enemies come. And it was quite easy to get that working, and it was just no fun at all. <laughs> it was just like, well, whatever you try doesn't work. <laughs> and so he changed it so that they just randomly uh, prepare for different tactics. So they're just like, this wave is all fire resistant. And they didn't do that because you used fire extinguishers. They just chose that randomly. Mm. And that becomes way more interesting, he says. Mm. So I actually haven't, I'm not, I'm only speaking from secondhand um, uh, design thinking, but that guy reckoned that it was actually a waste of time to try and have enemies respond like adapt to your tactics because uh, it's actually not it's realistic and intelligent for the enemies to do that but it's not actually that much fun you should say as well that um if people aren't familiar with fallout when we say myelurk what we mean is a crab man <laughs> and when you, you talk about you know it's it essentially the options were like big crab claw little crab claw gatling gun <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> as the song goes <laughs> yeah indeed um and um I don't know to what extent those things could be considered as responses to different strategies <laughs> employed by the player. They're attacking us. <laughs> Deploy the bigger claw. No, it's not <laughs> enough. Deploy the gun. These are the only two ideas we have as crabs. Uh, um, there were other adaptations, but I can't remember what they were. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Is it seems like more like it seems more like variants on like the enemy type. Like you fight a platoon of them, and you get mm. like two big claws, one little claw one gatling cardboard gun. box yeah, and then a cardboard box <laughs> um metal gear solid 5 had some kind of um adaptive enemy kit didn't it although hmm. i think it wasn't so much i don't think they put on hats because you got all the headshots it was more like there was a shipment of hats and if you took that out then they would have no hats and then you could do loads of headshots yeah there was a passive escalation that you could disrupt with uh mm. kind of side missions and things mm. it wasn't responsive directly um it's kind of not the most interesting thing about this game for me. Like, uh, I like the idea of having loads of human factions in a post-apocalypse scenario. Mm. That's the really cool idea. And I wonder to what extent you could form alliances with them, which is a thing that is not in XCOM, any XCOM game. Like, mm. it feels like there's room there for new kind of ways to do, to make an XCOM game. And I wish that uh, the way it kind of looked and sounded felt more like its own thing rather than, like, it looks and sounds a lot like the Fraxis XCOM mm. games. Uh, but I'm still quite excited about the idea of an alternative take on the same idea for sure yeah i think you, you're right that not having strict 
good guy, bad guy. I mean, obviously, I'm imagining crab people are going to be the bad guys. <laughs> I've been wrong before. Don't, don't rush to judgment, Chris. <laughs> um, From my it... perspective, the crab guys are good. <laughs> From my perspective, the crab, crab guys are fantastic. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, that, that does seem to be the, the way that you can make an XCOM campaign more interesting over time, mm. I guess, by adding some of that grand strategy stuff. Mm. Grand crab strategy. Also in, in the news this week, um, Sega are teasing, gently teasing, or explicitly teasing, maybe as far as saying <laughs> that, um, Vanquish, another platinum game, is making its way to PC. And given they're using the, you know, recently announced and released Bayonetta as a vehicle for teasing this, which is also a platinum game, um, this seems like a very true thing. That is occurring, not uh, not a rumor for no reason. It's not something you would spread around unless it was happening. Indeed, and it's incredibly exciting. It is to have the beautiful, extraordinarily <laughs> insane, uh, weirdly political <laughs> shooter, third-person shooter, like the ultimate reaction to Gears of War. Yeah, that is uh, Vanquish just, a, just an extraordinary feast of absurd blaster action with amazing bosses. It's um. <laughs> It's what I, I keep thinking. I've talked about the podcast, but I think I've just written a bunch about it in other contexts because obviously it was a console game for the longest time. Um, but it's of that same generation as Bayonetta of sort of just brilliant platinum games that mm. um, find a way of taking making every other game in their genre look boring. Um, so Vanquish is fundamentally a third person cover shooter from the era where every game was a third person cover shooter, mm. except the thing you should never ever do is be behind cover because you have rocket knees <laughs> and they've made, they've basically taken the the roadie run from gears of war, you know, the sort of like head down sort of crouching sprint that you use to get between cover safely and said, well, what if that wasn't a, a sort of a squat jog, but was in fact a man in a Pete Townsend knee slide, but with rocket powered knees skidding across the ground and what if every time you leapt out of cover, you went into bullet time? So that when you're going into cover is boring, but coming out of cover is amazing. Mm. So it's just about chaining together these um, sort of leaps from cover that go into bullet time into a rocket-powered knee slide to the next bit of cover. And then you don't even want to stop there, ideally. You want to just bounce off that piece of cover to trigger bullet time again and keep going. Um, it's brilliant. It's um, when... Tom, when you said weirdly political, you're referring to the fact that it's implicitly set in a future where Hillary Clinton is president. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is amazing in today's modern context as yes, well. Yes, it is. Uh, so it's taken on a whole new random resonance. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the game the game begins with horror as essentially space Vladimir Putin's um, space army of robots and people who look a lot like Vladimir Putin but in skin-tight nano-armor take over a space station and use a laser to melt San Francisco mm. and it only manages to escalate from there. Your um, your best friend is a giant man called Robert Burns and it's never addressed <laughs> why he's called Robert Burns. <laughs> and as you like Bayonetta, it's a game that never really stops escalating. It's, it's more controlled than Bayonetta. It's not as out-and-out out kind of mad camp. It's more like... But it's more like... um, It feels like a very fun... Uh, you know, obviously, Platinum are probably one of the more fun developers in that in any genre. But uh, taking on a very kind of Western game archetype, which is the Space Marine cover shooter, and kind of spectacularly making it their own thing. Mm. Fantastic! Can't wait to can't wait to play that on PC. Again. Yeah, I mean, you've the, again, the first mission in that game is going to involve capital ships full of Marines crashing into 
a space into like having an Omaha Beach moment, but vertically up a space station before fighting giant spider, colossal spider robots, and that's the tutorial, <laughs> pretty much. It's great. I'm really pleased that it's yeah, coming it's out so, on PC. So, so good. That'd be a if that if they do what they did with Bayonetta, and it's it's a good enough port to be mm. you know 60 frames a second, you know support for modern resolutions. That's going to look tip top. It's good news. Word. Any Tom, what have you been playing? <laughs> um, I actually did play a bit of XCOM 2, uh, just uh, mm. coincidentally before this announcement. Because um, I, I was playing it a bit in Seattle. Um, I got it on my uh, PS4. And uh, I talked a bit before about this, but like I almost can't get through a turn now without something going wrong with the the way it communicates information to me or the way the rules seem to work versus how they do work. Like I was, I mind controlled a Viper, which was great. And then had, I, anytime you mind control an enemy, the most exciting thing is to look at what their abilities are. Cause they, you can use all the abilities that they can use against you normally. Hmm. Um, and for a Viper, it, it didn't have like the lick someone <laughs> attack, <laughs> you know, they can kind of like coil around you. They yeah, do yeah. There. Um, but it did have a venom spit thing. And so I spent ages carefully aligning the, the, preview of what it was going to hit so that it would hit these two enemies and then fired it and there's some kind of effect but it didn't attack it didn't hit either of them and the preview told me it would hit both of them and uh that was really kind of crucial like if i wasn't if that wasn't going to work that's fine but i needed to know that so i could do something else with that viper and use him mm-hmm. as like cannon fodder or get him in a different situation or do something else with those two enemies and just because the stakes are so high like every single thing that doesn't happen exactly as you expect it to is disastrous um and so i did what i've generally been doing whenever it's not my fault that something went wrong and i reloaded my save game <laughs> but on ps4 that takes like five minutes <laughs> what's um was it kind of like a grenade marker i'm not sure i've used that um ability yeah it looks like um oh that's another thing is um uh some abilities you have to press the uh actually this might be worse on a controller than it is on on mouse and keyboard i can't remember but some abilities like a grenade or a grenade launcher you select it you sort of select it as if you're going to fire it, basically, and then you don't fire it. You get a preview, and you can move that around to see where you're going to fire. But then a couple of abilities look like they're going to do that, but when you select it, they immediately fire in the direction your, your cursor currently is. Um, and Null Lance, if you want to aim that, um, while in order to point it in a certain direction, it's like a long line attack, um, pointing it in that direction also moves the camera. And so if it moves the camera past the point that you can see what you're aiming at, moving it back now changes the aim to the opposite direction so you have to play this little dance where you're like shoving the stick one way and then the other way to try and get it to point in the right direction yeah don't remember encountering that on pc for yeah. abilities but it sounds as though they've attached a kind of grenade marker to a dice roll shot with that particular thing where right. um which obviously they should flag if it's going to be a percentage thing but um, the the rest of the game tells you that if you have that dome that you're moving around and anything that glows red within that dome will definitely get hit. Yeah, that which was is like right. the essential thing about grenades. It's why they're so good. Yeah, Guaranteed exactly. damage in that game is just fucking amazing. Mm. I um, think maybe they've just communicated that wrong. Well, that dome can be a bit fiddly as well. It can mm. it can freak out because of different floors in a building <laughs> yeah, and things like that. And, and it can I'm be always think you're in, but not. I'm always in that situation where there's like. Okay, I can definitely hit two enemies, no problem, but I think I can hit the third one as well. Yeah. But that position where it's going to work is like fleeting. It goes there Spasms. for a split second and yeah, then it goes back yeah. again. Yeah, definitely. And I've had it with the stick where it's like, I'm 
I have to hold the stick down for a little while and kind of like force it in that direction and then let go the second it looks like it's right. Yeah, this is a fundamental problem with imposing a circular shape on a grid system. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's an inherent inaccuracy to that that, you know, it's, it's going to cause problems, which is uh, my other big problem with XCOM generally with uh, all XCOMs <laughs> that have been made is that a grid system is where uh, flanking bonuses are really essential. Flanking bonuses are very specific in terms of like where you are on the grid relative mm. to um, the enemy. And that's not at all intuitive. Like, you have no idea how, when I can get a flanking position. Like, sometimes I'm in a mm. position where intuitively it should definitely be a flank. Like, yeah. you know, literally, I can see the side of their head. Um, but actually, because I've, like, maybe a couple of squares back, like, it won't register as a flank. Hmm. Uh, and that's essential as well, because that's how you get loads of your crit damage in XCOM. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's loads of problems with that. Like, it's not, it is, maybe it's just moves to hexes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankly. Guess uh, what? Have more sides. <laughs> yeah. Have more sides, have more kind of granularity. Well, the other way to go is into the breach, um, where the most attacks in that game are just, um, one of the four cardinal directions. So you can literally only shoot if, if they're like, you know, uh, only to your left and only to your, uh, direct front. Um, and so there's no like, diagonal attacks or angles at all hmm. uh, which is you know sounds really restrictive but what it means is you're always a hundred percent clear on whether you can hit, you know for sure if i move to that space i will be able to hit that that enemy and that's just that's so good it just solves all the problems that i have with xcom yeah i mean i, I wish they just kind of show it to you so if you click on an enemy i'd like to see where i can play like yeah patches there, of ground there are mods for this aren't there there's that um there's one called perfect information that i think tries to give you all those previews and stuff yeah and i probably should just play on pc and get that installed feels like that's the only way to, like that's the way to play a game otherwise mm. you're right you do just get fucked over and you're right as well that like when you're punished in that game it really matters yeah um like over the course of a campaign i think you can bounce back in xcom 2 more so than you can in the first game but nonetheless like losing a, a key character to a ui but a problem is a disaster in a game like that yeah it feels like it needs some sort of limited takesy backsies for things like this like yeah you know um the example would be you can undo the last action you did however shot percentage to hits and stuff will always be the same so if you have a limited number of them it's not necessarily going to be worth re-rolling an 11 percent shot until it comes off but like because it's that thing of i meant to do that versus i was consciously taking a risk like accidentally throwing a grenade in the wrong floor of a building mm. because the curse has gone a bit weird yeah. doesn't fit the fantasy of the game. It's yeah, like I lost no. my best XCOM man because he forgot how to throw <laughs> and accidentally threw a grenade directly up in the air for no reason. He, like, instead of throwing it like a normal human would, he threw it three stories higher <laughs> and hit nothing for no reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I feel like maybe some ways to incorporate not saves coming necessarily, but like un. You know, was it? Does Invisible Ink have that? Undo yeah, it has, um, yeah, it does. That's I was going to say it's got this. Uh, like three rewinds or something. It depends yeah. on the difficulty level you're playing as, mm. uh, playing on. And also you can customize difficulty so you can, if you like, play on like an easy difficulty with no rewinds or a hard difficulty with some rewinds. Mm. But, um, they can, they explicitly say in the, uh, explaining that feature that it's for misclicks. It's for yeah. when you just didn't yeah. mean to do what you did. And, uh, but it's, you know, they don't try and force that obviously. They just make it limited so that you, and I, I don't think I ever used it in, in Invisible Link just to make something go better. It was always because, um i had you know uh just clicked on the wrong thing yeah um or or maybe in some cases i think i used it because i genuinely wasn't that game is usually so good about telling you what will and won't work but mm-hmm. occasionally you'd have just a little bit of weirdness where things wouldn't necessarily quite interact in a way that felt right or reflected what you were trying to do and so it was worth 
like for example moving through a detection area where you're pretty sure you wouldn't pass that way or something like that where it's like yeah that, i definitely wouldn't have chosen to do that so it's time to rewind mm-hmm. it yep that system in all games would be good all time-based games at least mm. I've also been playing N++, Mm. um, which is, for those of you keeping score, not N1.0 and not N2.0 and not N+. (laughs) Those are all different games. Um, But it's basically the game that Metanet have been making for, I want to say, like 11 years. Mm. Um, Mm. And Mm. it's weird coming back to it because I was the biggest fan of, of N uh it would have been even pre 1.0 it would have been like n 0.6 or something like mm. or whatever it was a flash game yeah it was a flash game on pc it was completely free um little gray rooms tiny little ninja jumping around them um and uh i, I mean if that was 11 years ago then uh i suppose it must have taken them some time to make the first version but if it was around that that time um because i think it was early in my career at pc gamer which would have been like yeah about that longer um and so I feel like the indie game revolution hadn't happened at that time. Um, mm. I think it was pre-World of Goo. Um, and that was was my obsession. It was like that I didn't really play anything else that was quick to play, that you know didn't take up a huge amount of time um, and was easy to launch. <laughs> to mm. like, just a little icon on my taskbar and I just click it and I play for a few minutes. Um, and so I got really obsessed with it and really into it. And then I've kind of disconnected from it for a long time. I was re- like really excited about what they would do next. And they, they did have other games planned. Um, and they kept hitting difficulties and then kept returning to N. And then at some point, I think that they kind of lost me. They released N plus, but it was only on PSP or something. Like it uh, wasn't on PC anyway. Um, and so I kind of got disconnected from the whole thing. I just, I stopped paying attention because I couldn't play that one. Um, and I'm already just coming back to it now. Like <laughs> it's probably, you know. <laughs> seven years since then um and they've just like worked on a ridiculous amount since then and so it now has four thousand levels <laughs> and it's got um uh i was really surprised when i saw it at fantastic arcade fantastic fest fantastic arcade um like about three years ago or two years ago um and discovered that it had like uh co-op and a race mode um which is really cool where uh you are both trying to play the same level but there are like if you blow up on a mine that mine is gone so it helps your the person coming after you uh, and you restart while they carry on um but what replaces the mine is a kind of mine trigger and if someone touches that when they leave that spot it becomes a mine again um and there are also lots of mine triggers just throughout the level so things that aren't mines even when the level starts but if you touch them they become mines and so you can intentionally like land on that spot to prime a mine for the person coming behind you um i haven't played any multiplayer modes because they're local multiplayer only um which is a shame Hmm. but um just in the single player stuff there's obviously like way more levels than i will ever be able to play um and it's i'm sort of remembering why i like this game like when i when i stopped playing it i was kind of thinking like actually i probably only played that because uh like just there's no other hardcore platformer I've ever really clicked with. I don't really like those kind of games, um, even when they're done really, really well. Um, and so I thought maybe I only like that game because it was like the only quick game to play around. Um, but now that I get back into it, I remember, no, there's lots of reasons I like this. <laughs> it has this very particular kind of momentum to it where, um, 
It actually, interestingly enough, it explains the rules uh, in this version and it just tells you how certain physics things works. Like every time you wall jump, you gain a bit of vertical momentum. So you, if you're like, you actually get faster as you jump off things. And um, I don't think it explains all the nuances, but that you learn these things. Like if you hit a jump pad and you're going really fast upwards and you just touch a wall and bounce off it, you'll go so fast upwards and also you can use that to make uh, to make an incredibly long horizontal jump. Um, and if you're falling uh, and you fall onto a slope that's sloping kind of away from you, you're going to be fine almost no matter what the height. If you fall on flat land, then you'll die from a certain distance. If you fall on a slope that's facing like exactly the direction you're coming at it from, you're going to die unexpectedly easily. It's <laughs> going to just crumple your legs. Um, and there are once you can kind of chain those things together, once you can kind of run into like a curved corner and use that momentum to um, uh, propel yourself up the wall, then wall jump over something and then land on one of those bouncy blocks that like has just the right amount of give so that it cushions your your landing, but also springs you back off. Um, and then while you're doing that, like a homing missile is chasing you and then you intentionally like skid across the ceiling so that the homing missile crashes into that and then you um, arc across some uh, like drones chasing you. Uh, it just feels really, really good. And the the levels are tiny. Every level is just one screen. Um, and the best ones... Uh, I, I, what I discovered is that I actually do like really hardcore, difficult platforms where you repeat yourself again and again and again, as long as what I'm repeating is literally three seconds. <laughs> it can't be any longer than that. And so there are levels of end that I really don't like because they're just... There are a significant percentage of them are a very long like snaking path through the room with loads and loads of mines everywhere and you have to jump really carefully over each one if you make a mistake on the last one you've got to redo all of that and there's nothing interesting about redoing it for me whereas the ones that are really uh that involve momentum and they're really fast and have these kind of dynamic elements chasing you you get when you repeat that again and again and again a the thing you're repeating is really really quick so i don't mind it but also you get so good at it like you your fluidity on that that first section that you've now played, you know, 37 times, um, is just like magnificent to behold. If anyone walked in and you know, you're playing it at that point, they'd be like, holy shit, how good are you at this game? Uh, if they'd seen the other 36 attempts, they would be less impressed. And so I love those kinds of levels and I really hate the, the mind jumping kind of levels. And actually, I, it's very good about like, doesn't really gate your progress. Um, you can skip a whole episode. An episode is five rooms. Um, and I don't think there's any limit on how many you can skip. And you just, you know, you could just keep going to the, um, to the end of the game. Um, but I think within an episode, I haven't checked, but I haven't, so far I haven't found a way to sort of play an individual level for an episode. So if I don't like a, if I hit a level I really hate in an episode, I just have to skip the rest of the episode. I don't get to play the others, mm. um, which is a bit of a shame. They, when you hear as 4,000 levels, you kind of imagine, well, surely they just get really repetitive after a while. But actually, they kind of don't. I mean, like I say, there are types I don't like. But I played one the other day. It was just, it's called Neo Tokyo. And it was just a whole, looked like a whole bunch of skyscrapers with kind of windows going all the way through them. And just hundreds of tiny little drones, like, floating between those skyscrapers and going through these windows. And just looked like they are kind of like hover cars going through a city. Um, and... That was really neat. And then there's other ones where, like, there's a device in this new version where um, it's had a big update lately, but I'm not really talking about the update because I'm, I didn't play N++ when it came out in the first mm. place, so I don't know, really know what's new except 2,000 levels, apparently. <laughs> um, 
but there's a, a gizmo which I think has been in M since it launched, which is um this weird vortex thing that when you pass through it a short while later you will come out of it again. Yeah. And that version of you is lethal to touch and it will just go and do everything you did. Um and there there are some levels where like those a lot of levels will put that on your critical path. You can't not hit it, so you you have to hit it and part of the level is dodging your previous clone. There are some really nice ones where like there's one of those ahead of you and you're going to have to go through it. There's also one of them behind you and behind that there's a whole bunch of gold. So if you want the gold, you've got to trigger two of these ghosts <laughs> and then you're going to be dodging both of those for the rest of the game. I really like that kind of stuff. And there's other ones where it's just like a really big level with loads of different like chambers and each one is guarded by a different hazard and you've got to decide which ones are worth the gold because gold gets you extra time and it's kind of your score as well. Um, and they feel kind of almost open-ended. Those are pretty rare, but like... It just gives you an idea of how much variety there can be to end levels. And mm. also some of them are just like, they're just bits of art. <laughs> just as soon as the level over, it's like, whoa, look at that. Mm. And it's just this beautiful kind of pattern. And a- actually playing the level is not especially different to anything else, but it's uh, just really cool to look at. Yeah, there's, um, there's a real sense that it's all been handcrafted. And, mm. you know, um, I think if you're a developer with this type of game, you might be tempted to try and maybe procedurally generate that sort of level if it's just one screen. Hmm. But there's very much a sense that, you know, there's a wit behind yeah. end levels. And, they're, they're and they, are, ha- they each have titles and the titles are sometimes sometimes funny and they sometimes actually jokes, sort of yeah. clue you into how to play it. Like one of them, you know, um, one of them will just be like, uh, temptation is fatal or something. And <laughs> yeah. that's the one where you have to look really carefully about that big chunk of gold. And are you really going to go for that? They lay loads of little traps and pitfalls in for you that only a person could do. And uh, I think there's a kind of a way of the designers are communicating with you as you're playing through mm. this platformer that is, 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 is fantastic. And even greater than something like, um, Super Meat Boy, which is mm. just the other game I would mention in the same category of just being an amazing, just feels amazing. You just get used to the sense of momentum and motion. Very, very different type, you know, sense of momentum to N, which has a very unusual, as you described, sense of, you know, gaining momentum as you go at walls and stuff. Um, but Super Meat Boy's levels, uh, are beautiful and pure, but they're also longer. And I love, as you say, that room idea that you, you just have a room and the room has a purpose and it's going to try and fuck you in a certain specific way. <laughs> and uh, that uh, mechanic you mentioned where you go through like ghost mines, but mm. then become real mines as you cross them is a big part of a lot of like early end plus plus levels where you snake up through a route and then you have to come back through it. Yeah. So you have to watch your step and not you know, turn those minds on because you have to come back through that same route in order mm. to get back to, you know, exit the level. Yeah. It's full of all these really witty, funny, kind of um, clever ideas that mesh as well with this just incredibly intuitively interesting platformer. Um, I love it. Yeah, I think Anne's brilliant. Oh, it was a really hard game to follow up on. I mean, I say that because they've been making M for 11 <laughs> years, but yeah. like I played loads of, it must have been the original N when I was at university close to 10 years ago or 10 years oh shit 10 years ago um, <laughs> um and so you know because it was one of those games that ran on anything and it's kind of amazing but at no pure platformer like that pure sort of challenge room platformer i can think of since is actually hmm. kind of stepped into the same gap maybe that's for want of looking but it feels like a genre that's almost perfectible and a few games sort of almost got there i think yeah i, I really want um i always have like a gap in my life for something I could just fire up and play just in 10 minutes just for like a mm. break and uh any game that can fit that gap always 
you know, ends up staying in my rotation for Any a long time. game? <laughs> uh, Good noise. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I, I wish they would do is, uh, there's this mysterious option I have to rate a level, uh, or sort of, no, I can favorite a level, that's it. And if I, like, hold down the right trigger, it'll tell me who the level is by, and I can favorite it. And what I want to know is, that, that seems to sort of hint to some kind of way to, like, filter levels, or sort of pick out levels that are going to be interesting to you. Um, and that's what I really want is like, cause like I say, there's one type of level I really don't like, and there's one type of level I really do like, and there's a lot of variety in between that I'm interested in. Um, I would love it if they were somehow like categorized or tagged, <laughs> like the same way you can like tag, you know, games on Steam with like, this one has a great soundtrack. This one has a female protagonist. Mm, like yeah. I want end levels like this one has a shitload of mines <laughs> <laughs> and I want to filter out all of those. <laughs> Weirdly, you could do, I mean, this would be presumably doable with just that data, but like either a Steam or an Amazon based like, users who liked this level also like yeah and it plans your course through the game not based on the particular progression of you know chapters or sections or anything but it maybe has some sense of difficulty and then it just progresses you to the next thing that matches all of the things that you've liked so far mm. that'd be an interesting way to do it i suppose the downside to that would be eventually you would finish all of the things you like <laughs> and then you'd have a thousand levels that you hate <laughs> remaining yeah there are so many that I feel like there's probably 2,000 end levels I would love amongst yeah. the 4,000. Do you so need I more than probably that, never, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, actually, that I wanted to say is um, uh, I the pacing is kind of interesting. I don't, and I haven't really gone far enough to find out how it pans out long term, but there's a kind of intro section of levels, and it's a lot. It's like 250 levels or something. Um and I play through those in maybe like an hour or something. Um, and those ramp up in difficulty. And the early ones of those are, you know, very easy and just teach you how to play the game, which is appreciated. Um, and then the later ones of those are, you know, about as maybe not the absolute ceiling of viability, but very much challenging for me and almost getting too challenging. And then when you go into the main set of levels, suddenly it's easy again. Like not, not quite as easy as it started out in the last chapter, but it basically ramps back down. And starts from from there and builds and builds and builds, and so I've done like uh, I think I haven't quite finished the first row, and a row is like twenty episodes or something, and the episodes are five levels each, so like a mm. hundred levels. Actually, it probably is that. Um, and so far, that's just got harder and harder and harder and harder, and it's at getting to the point now where I'm kind of, you know. <laughs> trepidatious about each episode like oh god what's it going to throw at me now because there's like i say there's some levels i just don't want to do at that kind of level of difficulty um and so i'm kind of hoping that when i get to the next row maybe it'll go back to being easy for a little while again because i don't mind if they overall increase in difficulty but i like just pacing wise i don't want it to just get harder and harder and mm. harder you know for a thousand levels it's good stuff though mm. it's not, I mean, you got me tempted to go back to it because you're right that that size of game that fits really well into less than a minute in some cases that you can power up and play and put down again mm. it's definitely something that i've not had for a decent span of time yeah we should do um we should try the local multiplayer at some point yeah i'd definitely be able yeah, to because um uh there's the race mode and there's also cart mode and i haven't played it myself um but i watched nerd cubed play it and he also doesn't have anyone to play with, so he plays both people himself <laughs> with two controllers. Um, and the design of those, it's not just like play, play the single player levels, but with two players. 
um they are all custom designed for co-op and they mm. have those that same kind of thing at the level kind of talking to you um one of them just has the switch to open the the door just has a landmine on it <laughs> and so whoever touches it dies so one of you has to just kill yourself to destroy the landmine so that the other one can press the switch we should we could even um revisit the early days of great and and switch on a recording for that yeah we could mm. that would be really fun you know we had fun doing like Splunky and gang beasts and mm. similar yeah i wonder how many players you can have in a race uh, the co-op is only two players i think but i, I don't know if the race ones goes up to more we need mm. a commentator yeah we have a, yeah we just have a yeah shoutcaster yeah. shoutcaster just shouting. Call the action. <laughs> <I> shout ah! <laughs> <laughs> if that's the kind of thing you want, you'll be real glad that that's what we put your Patreon, Patreon dollars <laughs> towards. <laughs> it's just Tom going, ah, while two other people play a game. Uh, that's our understanding of, of the YouTube. Um, what have you been playing, Tom? I've been playing uh, more of the Signal of Tolva. Oh, yeah. Which we did uh, talk about a few weeks back. And I'd only just, I'd taken my first steps into the world as a, a fresh robot <laughs> and kind of uh, enjoyed it, but then found it kind of uh, at times slightly onerous to like traverse and explore. And then I would say that since then, I think I'm quite near the end now. It's just gotten better and better and better. Hmm. Like the, so it's become more and more interesting just in terms of the sights you're seeing. I don't want to kind of like spoil the stuff that you encounter, but just like cool sci-fi shit that you're, that happens in ambiently around you. Uh, as you enter a new area, like the, you, there are loads of kind of quite vivid uh, memories that are burned into my mind of that game now, just for from going into a certain place at night and perhaps seeing like a giant spaceship or something sailing overhead. It's very good at perhaps or awesome <laughs> uh, sci-fi stuff, um, and that's that's really exciting. And also, I've kind of gotten into the weapons a lot more. I'm oh, yeah. hmm. onto the like the max tier of weapons now, so I've unlocked enough. Uh, law <laughs> to allow me to get the best sniper rifle which is how video <laughs> how games work <laughs> the ultimate signal was uh, gun the, the top gun signal and um, I've got this amazing sniper rifle that is just does astonishing amount of uh, like one hit damage but when you go into scope it reverses your mouse controls what <laughs> uh so the, the the game is saying, do you want this trade-off? Oh my <laughs> Are you God. prepared to put up with this bullshit to do the maximum amount of damage? <laughs> that to, sounds like something Borderlands would do. Um, like there's that kind of Borderlands that's amazing, but it's just really irritating. It just yeah, like, yeah, yeah talks that to sound you. <laughs> that, um, uh, so I've stuck with this gun now and I've, 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 I mean, it's, it's been a total mindfuck just using this <laughs> one gun in this game because uh, you see him in and I've gotten used to kind of, uh, you know how when you're tracking... Uh, something you're sniping in a game as it's running sideways across your screen you kind of like go slightly ahead of it and then maybe mm. as soon as the crosshair aligns you just click and bang mm. except like, you're dragging in the reverse direction <laughs> and if you have to adjust up and down at the same time god help you <laughs> you'd better, the human brain can't do that <laughs> you'd better get like the head level or the the crit level right before you start dragging sideways and um, so i've gotten good at that the problem is coming out of scope and going back to normal <laughs> totally fucks me up like can't do it i'll just like start like, like a malfunctioning robot just start barging around and you know what you should try actually directions. um because what i'm doing is i'm playing a gamepad but when i need to snipe i switch to mouse and keyboard and mm. i bet if you switch back to a gamepad you'd probably be all right because it would be such a different mode of control anyway that it you would wouldn't... make more sense yeah, yeah no, maybe so um i've not been doing that so it, it's it, it's made me amazing at killing things far away but terrible at 
moving around in a very basic, you know, <laughs> just uh, rocks now. fundamental way uh, where, you know, I'll snipe, I'll snipe a few things and then just really struggle to get through, you know, a gap, man, <laughs> just a, a narrow gap in some rocks. Um, like a sniper equivalent of a drunken master. Kind yeah, of like yeah. Can you rotate your mouse so the buttons are, p- are facing you and then just hold it upside oh, down? Oh, wow. <laughs> but that would only work in one... You flip it around when you need to move. Okay, look in a mirror while you're doing it. This is going to make it worse. Uh, So I I think I just need to basically get better at braining this. (laughs) As Fry from Futurama might say. That would be a last resort. (laughs) You've got to brain it up. You've got to just like, my brain's just got to figure it out. Um, But uh, I've I've enjoyed that challenge alone. And also um, we've described before the way that I think a few of us played it where uh, you get these area of effects attacks, and the one I've enjoyed is the one that sends robots fleeing for cover. Mm. And enemies are actually really smart in this game; like they they know where cover is, and they they know how to run away and actually get behind stuff, which frankly is fucking better than a lot of shooters <laughs> that you'll play that are just dedicated shooters. Um, so the difficulty with this is that when you hit that AOE, um, everything is going to go behind a rock. So it's about picking out picking off the things that are you know nearest to rock cover, and then sniping them in the back of the head with uh, this ridiculous reverse control sniper rifle. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm really enjoying this very silly, <laughs> uh, but very satisfying kind of, uh, the, the lasers feel amazing in this game. Mm. Like, I love how they look amazing with lancing across the landscape at night, you know, uh, and sometimes just uh, some friendly robots will wade in and, and they'll save your life because they'll just draw some fire and let your ridiculous, let you recover enough to, bring to bear your ridiculous reverse control sniper <laughs> rifle on you know a couple of targets that are causing you trouble it's, i'm really enjoying it are there any shotguns or grenades uh i don't believe so actually there are there are the equivalent of the shotgun i would say is a kind of continuous uh lightning the gun. hose thing yeah I've yeah so you hose them with lightning and it's, it's really powerful but it runs out of ammo really fast uh, and that's really potent if you can like close in fast enough, but being as like my default with sniper rifle, I've not really had much course to mm. use those. I don't think there's like a, there is actually a shotgun equivalent and I, there aren't. Cause I think I've got sort of one of every type of weapon now. And so it, like from the icons on the, on the unlock menu, it looks like I'm just going to get better versions of those things. Yeah. But it's, it seemed conspicuous to me that it didn't have those yeah. archetypes. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's hard to actually engineer close combat encounters in Tolba. Because everything is trying to move behind cover, sensibly. Well, what I what usually happens to me is I snipe from a distance and then everyone comes running. <laughs> and I snipe mm. like some of them before they get to me, but then I'm just cornered and I'm behind a rock and they're all going to come around the corner any minute. And there are weapons that are better at close range than the sniper rifle, but I, it feels like a ripe <laughs> time for a shotgun. Yeah, the um, the assault rifles uh, become not assault rifles. They're kind of like rapid fire mm. weapons that are amazing at close range especially later on and the hoses are amazing like they are <laughs> they are amazing like good hoses. they hose the fuck good they're robot really good. hoses uh so those those are your solutions i tend to just run away like a, a, a big coward <laughs> um i wish uh my the one thing i change about the game is i i would love the ability to hire a couple of companions without having to sacrifice a weapon slot Mm. Right, uh, because the companions are rubbish; they don't really do anything. <laughs> but the sheer personality of having them around and watching them fighting with you and having them draw fire, because uh, the, the game looks really cool. Uh, just seeing robots fight each other, kind of according to 
AI schema is really satisfying. Uh, I wish that there wasn't a kind of risk, like a sacrifice I had to make to see that happen. Because you only have two weapon slots, right? Yeah. And so one of them's got to be the commando the gun. commando gun, yeah. That, like, takes <laughs> Five <over>. commandos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, so that, that's the one thing I'd love the to command. I'd love to change, I think. And some of my favorite moments have been where there have accidentally been friendlies in the area and they've kind of opened fire from a distant ridge and I've seen like lasers coming in. I'm like, holy shit, they're my guys because they're glowing yellow. <laughs> and yeah, you know, th- th- those are the coolest moments. And I feel like you can engineer those a bit more if you actually had the ability to have dudes around you know, with you all the time. Mm. Uh, but I was, it gets, it really gets a lot, lot better after the first hour I've found. And I've, I've really enjoyed it playing it in short bursts. So it's been my lunchtime game at PC Gamer. Uh, where we're obviously very lucky to be able to just boot up a game in an hour-long lunch break. And playing in those little hour-long chunks has been absolutely perfect for it. So you pick a base and you go and, you know, try and attack it. And then, you know, you get sidetracked by some resources or, you know, your scanner will show that there's uh, a law blob nearby that you need to scan for the law. <laughs> so you go and scan that and then, you know, shenanigans. Uh, and that that's that's a good way to play that game, I think. I'm really enjoying it. Hmm. I finally figured out... Um that you can destroy the turret drop pods. Oh yeah. Mm. Cause I, like, I saw some tooltip that just threw me completely because it, I thought it said that, oh, to disable this, you need to kill the leader. And I thought it was talking about the, the turret thing. And so I thought, okay, the turret's indestructible, but I've got to find the leader and kill the leader and then it will shut down and I'll capture it. And so one outpost, I just like killed everyone and this turret was still there. Uh, and I could dodge it easily, but like I was trying to find like, where's the leader? And to kill the leader, disable this turret thing. And I think I just misread the tooltip. <laughs> you just got to shoot the turrets, right? You just, yeah, 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 you hide behind a rock and just yeah. shoot them over and over again. Allies do help with the turrets, I find. Yeah, definitely. Especially because often you'll take a base and then suddenly the base will just like manufacture a load of allies. Mm. And that tends to be often when those turrets come down. And so you watch the turret come down and then you just let your allies do it. Because really, huh. they'll just march out and engage it straight away. Yeah. And the only other time you tend to see them is in like ambush spots, which are clearly marked on the map. So if you're going into those, you know that they're going to... Yeah, it feels Somewhat undermining. That was the their first strategic error. <laughs> <laughs> and also you get better health regen for taking out an ambush mm. spot yeah. for some reason. <laughs> it's like the idea that maybe they're not even, you know, they're not even tactically designated ambush spots. That's what they're literally called. Like, that's what that place is actually... Like, that's <laughs> oh, a ambush name. Oh, it's like... Mount Ambush, let's yeah, go there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll set our trap in Ambush Gorge. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad to hear that the weapons get character was because i had the same experience with thomas like I've, I've unlocked like all the tier twos in every category and i was worried that it would just become you know i've essentially my, my worry was i fired all of the guns just not at their maximum power ratings essentially yeah. but it sounds like that's not the case yeah I, I i can't speak to how that applies to the rest of the range of guns but it's really cool that that sniper profile has that quirk mm. awesome what have you been playing chris um so the thing i've been dipping back into this week um that i can talk about um is elite again this is i mean uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast for any length of time will know that i just return periodically <coughs> to elite regardless of anything else but um this was prompted by the fact that they're sort of advancing some of the story stuff along um they've just done an event where players found a mysterious de- derelict kind of mega ship like not space station size but not miles off either hmm. um out on the reaches of space and it's a unique asset you know they it's the most boring thing to say about it, but like <laughs> they made it specially. Uh, the the effort comes through in every ounce of story um, to kind of continue one of the sort of ARG style bits of storytelling that Elite does over time. And this time they've actually done voice logs, like voice acted stuff for the game, which they haven't done before. So that's all sort of 
all well and good. The reason I sort of I'm I'm interested in it partly because I like elite and I like spaceships and I like that universe and it's just a nice place to hang out. Because of the the work I'm doing now, I'm more in, I'm become more interested professionally in the way that MMOs tell stories over time, in the way that little bits of incidental writing get picked up by players, and I think it's interesting. I think Elite is a good example of a of a current MMO that is using essentially ARG mechanics as a way to tell stories to players, like hiding coordinates in audio files and and that kind of thing. And I think what it proves is that like nothing is too arcane for a, a really dedicated fan base people who just love the basic fantasies so they will find like in the best example of this the most particular recent example is the last time i spoke about elite on the podcast which was the alien encounter that close encounter that mm. was the kind of thing that like brought the game alive to people because <coughs> holy shit that's possible mm. um but I'm, i've always been a big fan of that kind of slow burn video game storytelling um particularly in mmos so it's cool to see that they're doing that uh, it's not the sort of thing i'll ever really encounter but every time it happens and this is probably why it happens i feel i need to dip back into the game which thankfully it's not a subscription game so i'm not like resubbing for this stuff but dip back into the game and kind of like play a bit more and move my ship over to the area where the new stuff's happening just because i know that one day the big faction war is going to break out or the alien invasion is finally going to happen and at that point i want to be able to jump back in and have a ship ready to go and, and stuff so that was my reason for jumping back in. But since that time, um, they've added, they've done the commanders update. Um, like last time I played multi crew ships were in, so you could jump in with your friends and kind of com- command multiple stations in a ship. Um, I believe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was the commanders update. But anyway, so this is the update that allows you to make yourself in elite. Now you have the ability to create an, an avatar, um, with a, a reasonable degree of, like, it's a pretty good character creator. It's a sort of, you know, Bioware game tier character creator, and that's incorporated really nicely into the game. It's been bolted on really seamlessly. So if you, you know, pick what color of flight suit your pilot is wearing and things, and you look down in VR, you'll be, <laughs> they've replaced all of the character models and stuff. Hmm. Uh, if you use all the external cameras that you can kind of, like, fly around the ship while you're doing whatever, you can see through the window and see you. And because when I signed up for Elite, I made my, um, in other games, I would create a character, but because I desperately want to live and work in space more than anything else, <laughs> um, I, I literally just, like, my elite name is just Thurston. Like, because it's always formatted as commander name, and I didn't want to handle, I just wanted it to be me. Hmm. So I did the thing I would not normally do, and I just made me, because it's just me in space, and that's all I really want from elite. And a lot of the things they've done around that have been little things I've wanted them to do for ages, and it might sound, it might sound really pointless, but... It makes a difference to me. You can now name your ship, which is a thing. And it's dumb that this is a premium cosmetic, but it's like two quid to get the ability to like have your name printed with various different styles of nameplate <laughs> on the side of your ship. Hmm. And I must have said before that these games are so much about, even though they're about doing repetitive things in space, there's so much about that specific fantasy that means a great deal to a lot of people. Like that, that fantasy of like, I'm going to have my own spaceship and it's going to have the name I give it and I'm going to fly around and be Mal Reynolds or... Han Solo or whoever is enough to have crowdfunded Star Citizen to the extent that it's been crowdfunded mm. and it has its hooks in yeah. me just as a basic kind of thing. So I like that I have, you know, um, my ship and it's a cowboy bebop fantasy as well, but like totally mm. the, but that's the other thing it fits for me. Like, and so I, you know, I've been in, I've been playing around and I've, I've refitted my, um, the ship I've had for a while, which is a keelback, which is technically a cargo ship. Um, but all of the best, uh, spaceships are cargo ships, really. Like, the best kind of spaceship is a refitted cargo ship that does something cool now. Hmm. Like, you can say that for almost every, you know, for loads of them. So, 
I fitted a passenger bay, which allows you to do the kind of passenger delivery missions, which are basically just cargo runs, but they have a little bit more interesting flavor text and you feel like you're making more choices. So like you can run refugees out of war zones and those missions are just generated by what's happening in a sector. And, but it's a nice way of having it, you know, adding some atmosphere to your deliver box from place to place and different, different, um, passengers require different quality cabins. So, you know, I only have an economy cabin because I only tend to be running refugees places and it's a greater capacity so I can take more people. Um, I did have a business class uh, for, you know, fancier refugees. Um, <laughs> but I, I swapped, I, <laughs> um, but I swapped it out, um, so that I can have a fighter bay, which is the other thing that has been in the game for a little while. Um, but I, I, like, I've, I've, um, I've gone back and forth in the league about whether or not I fight people, whether I run, because I quite like, the feeling of running and having the unarmed ship. That's the serenity. That's specifically the serenity mm. fantasy. Yeah. And occasionally I go back towards Millennium Falcon where you also have guns. Mm. Um, and now I have guns, partly because, you know, there isn't still in the, it is still a game about sticking a bit of music on or a podcast or something and just flying through space and then switching it off for the great sound design and then, just, mm. you know, pottering and making numbers get bigger. Um, and the combat is one of the main ways in which it is a game in addition to being a truck simulator. Um, not the truck simulation in a game, but you know what I mean? It's one yeah. of the, it's most mechanically deep areas. And that's enhanced by the fighter bay, which is just a really cool, it's one of the ways I hoped, always hoped they'd expand the game and it's such a cool thing. So now, um, I have a crew, I have one crew, crewmate who is on the ship at all times. And when I'm in a combat situation and, you know, my, my, my cargo ship has forward facing guns and can, you know, can hold its own, but it's kind of big and cumbersome. And now, um, if I want to, I can sort of look down, um, or in, not in VR, just you, your character looks down and it brings up the panel that they've added to the bottom of the screen. Cause each, every UI and element elite is sort of in the world and it appears when you, you, you quote unquote look at it. Um, and like tab over to the fighter that's in the bay and assign either myself to it or my crew member, crew member. And if you assign yourself to it, then your crew member like takes the helm, which is a kind of nice thing. And then the voice of your ship becomes their voice and they'll randomly generate really cool. their own look and stuff. Um, so, um, mine is a lady called Florence and Florence <laughs> takes the helm and they'll have a little random generated bios and things and there's that kind of thing. And it's just enough to give it flavor. Like I, I'm a big fan of the value of just a little bit of text oh, or yeah, something sure. to make you feel like I know who Florence is. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you fade, to, it's a bit like getting to the buggy when you land. Um, but you fade to black and then you kind of very quickly fade back in again in the cockpit of the fighter. There's no animation at present for walking from the cockpit to the fighter bay but your imagination can fill in the gaps. And then you get kind of lowered in a, um, it's like a lift basically. Like it's a lift that like the, the fight is on like, um, trying to think what the word is for like, on like, uh, like a forklift, but like a forklift that a vehicle parks on Hmm. like, um, rails on a panel that kind of like come out the bottom. It's like, it's like Thunderbird 2, all right? It's like it's like when the pods come out of Thunderbird 2. So, you you know, it kind of lowers on a lift underneath the ship. And then you get kind of like accelerate. You get like sort of shot forward off the off the rail. And then the lift retracts back up into the ship. Okay. And you can yeah, yeah. fly separately from it. And the fighters are pretty powerful. They're very fast. They're much faster than anything else in the game. You can operate within a maximum radius of your mothership, essentially, which is about, I think it's about 25 kilometers it's quite away like you can go quite far away and come back again and then you have a panel that allows you to give orders to your other ship which is being controlled by the ai which can be the fighter and it can be you know your 
your main ship. Hmm. Uh, I always go out in the fighter because it kind of that's what. The, Why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's <laughs> what the fun is. Um, but like it is, it is also kind of fun to launch your NPC, and also this is this can be done multiplayer as well. So if you if you oh, invite if you invite a friend who can be anywhere in the galaxy, you don't need to be you know they can they can just join your ship for a bit. And if it's a multi-cruise ship with multiple bridge stations, then you can all share spaces on the bridge and, oh, and do different jobs. <laughs> Holy shit. But you can also, <laughs> de- you can also deploy them in the fighter. So I want, I want someone to jump in with me. Just oh, to get, yeah. And Jesus. I will, I will totally, Tom, if you want to jump in, oh, yeah. I'll totally deploy you in a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never, I haven't played Elite for ages, but this sounds amazing. Yeah. It looks like great. Exactly it's like, it, they, they, it's been, you know, the game's been out for years and it's, it's been slow to necessarily get a lot of these features, but they all look so good when they happen. Yeah. yeah. And they like, um, and it's just, you know, it's a fun thing. It makes combat a little bit easier. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of scary being in the fighters because they are little and you know you're sat in a very small cockpit compared to what you're used to if you played a lot of elite normally um but like yeah it's just a really cool thing and then you can um you can sort of contact the ship again to request docking and get to watch the the lift they they stop and then the lift comes down and then um it kind of projects this kind of like docking funnel outside of it. And if you get into the docking funnel at the right speed, it'll sort of pull you in and then like plug you back into the ship. But it's just a great series of oh, man. clunky space animations. But that's all I really want is yeah, just the things awesome. to go like hiss and chunk, like chunk, chunk, clunk, clunk. <laughs> that's, I, I, I like it so much. I don't really have words for it. <laughs> yeah. um, but they've done such a good job with that stuff that it like, I would say I believe that it still feels like it's waiting for the game. And I, maybe that's unfair, but like, if you don't like the idea of just, carting things around in space hmm. and that that is what original elite was yeah like it's elite that is, like that is what it then you the know there's thing. there's something sort of yeah then you sort of wait maybe for the other shoot to drop hmm. you need to be able to specifically get your moments of drama from little ambient things that in sort of strict mechanical terms probably don't mean very much like holy shit i went to the system and it's a pulsar system and it looks incredible like these kind of vast blue suns that you know <clears throat> have these kind of huge coronas that kind of spiral out through the star system and maybe you can't judge the first time you see one you can't judge how close you are to it and you end up getting pulled out of super cruise in a kind of violent you know you know violent exit hyperspace moment that leaves you kind of careening through space and it doesn't really inconvenience you you take three percent hull damage and continue on to your destination (laughs) but you know it means something to the experience or you know your target happens to be on the night side of a planet and you've got to do your landing at night and you switch the lights on as you come down you see the headlamps illuminate this kind of strange craggy surface of a procedure generated alien world and none of this stuff is necessarily changing what you're doing which is making money for collecting missions and going places but hmm. i don't know it's the opposite of it feels like we'd kind of describe like three extremes or something here we have n which is the game you can play for <laughs> five minutes and get do something and you know it's not in terms of objectives it's fundamentally repetitive in terms of inputs mm. it's fundamentally repetitive but you're getting it's just that kind of rapid synapse firing kind of like thing that kind of compels you to go through it for any length of time and then tolvo which fits nicely into an hour mm. but maybe strains if it goes longer than that and elite which for me is like a kind of brain screensaver of a game <laughs> like it's like if you left my brain on but idle for any length of time it just flips to a picture of a spaceship <laughs> like just idly like crossing a star field like in those old windows screensavers and that's kind of what elite is it's a interactive version of that windows screensaver just vanishing into a star field forever happily passing hours for doing nothing really it's interesting to um re- revisit elite in the knowledge uh the knowledge that uh star citizen is going to be hitting its 
a 3.0, I think, update mm. this year, later this year, which is the update that's going to theoretically like bind together a lot of the kind of separate systems they've been building for the last few years. Um, where is it, this is the one that's going to let you actually do the thing of going down onto a planet and going seamlessly back up yeah. to space and into a shooter mission on a, you know, ruined spacecraft. And, um, like you, Chris, like I adore this, I, this space fantasy specifically. And it feels like the ultimate, re- you know, for me, the peak of the MMO in the future mm. would be the ultimate realization of, of the Serenity fantasy where you can actually go and do missions wherever you want. And, engage with other you know friends cooperatively in a multiplayer environment and both elite and star citizen are promising that do you think that you know where would you put your money down if you're going one way or the other i kind of think that you so they're very different stories because i mean i i I genuinely i believe the star citizen is going to get where it's going because the they they demonstrate it frequently enough it's not it's not got any of those hallmarks of yeah a problem project i mean i imagine there are things that are difficult about making it but it has none of those sort of like oh and then it vanished for two years and they didn't say anything Mm. they're constantly talking about it i'm on the mailing list for both games and you're constantly getting new stuff for star citizen um and people are playing it right now at various levels of completion um Elite is obviously, I don't think the product is as big a team or as many resources, and it has the benefit of having been out and kind of been a live game for for a long time. Um, I think, I don't know, like, maybe when you're super into it, there is only space in your life for one of those things, but I will happily play both of them. Mm. And, I mean, if Star Citizen does everything it's promising to do, then that's probably the one you stick with, because it's the one where you can have the most different experiences. Yeah. But I think Elite, Elite does so much so well in terms of just the drama of of being in space and landing on a new world and, and that kind of thing that I do find it a consistently pleasant place to spend time. I think um, one thing I would say about Elite that's become more apparent recently is like when I started playing it, I really sought out combat, you know, bounty hunting and things. Hmm. And I like the idea of being a, a trader or a smuggler or a, an explorer who gets into scraps and maybe chooses to fight and sometimes runs and sometimes doesn't. At the moment, I think Elite has some work to do to hit that balance a little bit better in that it's actually, you know, you get the warning sometimes that you, you're going to take a particular set of cargo or a particular group of um, of passengers and you'll have a red warning on the mission that says enemy ships may be sent against you. And it almost never happens. And I think if I was to change anything about Elite, I would just dial that thing up like 400% because mm. it's always more interesting when you are doing... You know, you've got a two jump mission or something and you're on your second jump and then you get interdicted and you have to either escape the interdiction vector. And if you can't, you then have to fight. Mm. And I think maybe they're wary of disrupting the trader path with having to fight. But honestly, that's kind of like interrupting it with things to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, I understand that, you know, I mean, I'm one of them people who just like to spend time and do stuff, but I feel like turning that stuff up would be really nice and it would also mean that like if i have a mate who's only interested in doing the combat stuff and wants to sit in my ship waiting to go in the fighter for a couple of hours Mm. like if you did come and join me and you wanted to fly around and you wanted to try out the fighter and kind of do that stuff it i would have to change how i played and that's a bit dumb i think like i would have to go all right we're going to go looking for some fights we're going to go try and hunt some bounties which is fine that's a fun way to spend time but the full fantasy is we're just going to form a crew and we're both going to profit from my missions and if we get in a fight, you jump in the fighter and deploy and I'll support you. Mm. Um, 
and you kind of want the for the full fantasy to work you want those fights to kind of emerge organically and do you, you want to get into scraps that's what you want to happen you don't want to be hunting people down you want to be oh shit we've got the feds on us again we need to fight or run right like and that doesn't really work in elite at the moment whereas i think star citizen is even if even in its early act alpha hits you with stuff like that a little bit more frequently or at mm. least it does in the in the because a lot of the stuff is like structured missions rather than you know they're quests rather than like randomly generated tasks from task list yeah um it tends to be like someone has planned and now we'll have a combat bit and now we'll have a delivery bit um i'd like to find the sweet spot between those two things but i think for elite it's just as simple as turn up the frequency with which npcs go or you i'm going to take you down and take your cargo especially when you can deploy npc fighter pilots to actually go and yeah. defend you on your behalf it feels as though you know even as a sole trader uh you can just take that route if you want to alleviate that aspect of the game for yourself mm. uh, but maybe for people like us like you want that okay you know occasional but really exciting interaction you know we'd be able to actually jump into those roles independently yeah yeah i think um they might be worried about difficulty because like you need a, a ship of a certain size for you can fit a fight back oh, right, yeah. like it's not yeah. something you're going to get in the first couple of hours of the game it's something you can yeah balance that you can but say you can, like yeah. look, a, a ship of a certain level or a player of a certain level is going you know you can adjust behind the scenes the yeah, yeah. in fact i know it already does that like if you're, oh, in yeah. a, if you're in a big cargo ship full of stuff you are more likely to get yeah interdicted as far as i know hmm. it's just it feels like all those values are too low at the okay. moment like yeah, i've been yeah. playing a lot of elite and it, it does hit you that like wow it's been a long time since an mm. npc even even scanned me <laughs> like they're not asked and that's you know i don't know it's one of those things to yeah speak. interesting but yeah it's a nice spaceship computer game it's I good continue i love to play it i love that there are these uh competing visions for the same amazing ideal <laughs> like yeah uh that like i'm, I'm like Chris, where like that is the game I really would love and could fall in love with, and that that's the game Destiny is kind of occupied for me mm. in a very different way. Like you, like you have your ships. It's, it's not at all about this, you know, precisely the same fantasy. But in terms of living a space life and seeing cool space shit and experiencing that with friends, Destiny is what's done that for me. Destiny and, Two yeah. is going to PC, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Did we cover that before? I think we did. Ooh, I think we probably did. Probably when I was away. We must it have. will have been when you were away. It feels like a, a really... Um, it's huge. Uh, exciting time for PC things. <laughs> you know, it is, like yeah. con- Things that you expect to be console exclusive because mm. they're coming to PC. Mm. I think... Tell you what, I think that announcement happened when it was the me and Alex pod. Mm. I think me and Alex talked about it. But um, yeah, you okay. guys might, might have not. Yeah, I don't remember talking about it because I would talk at great length about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's great yeah it is great and it's, and it's exciting news like, i still don't know what platform i'll play destiny 2 on I yeah decided. that's a really interesting question actually um yep I, I it really depends what that game how it changes because like it's such a good patch shooter on ps4 mm. like destiny 1 is it's the only patch shooter i've fallen in love with ever um i've you know, enjoyed my shooters on pc mostly but the kind of the whole like very precise very incredibly you know well tailored feel of pad shooting or destiny is just perfect i don't think i could yeah i don't think i could sacrifice that but then the game might have to sacrifice that to go onto pc which is yeah which is a shame I mean, both alex and i talked about this that like the, mm. the pad element of it is, is a big thing i think i suppose the other thing that hasn't gone away in my concerns is hacking right uh something absolutely yeah that i uh, could easily spoil it because you know it's a, a sad fact of playing games on the pc not to not to spend our pc podcast talking about things that could go <laughs> wrong but it's just one of those things. No, it really is a, 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 yeah, that's a serious concern. Hmm. But no, 
um, exciting. It's been nice um, going back to the game and thinking about it more, having that knowledge that's coming back and it's going to be freshly relevant to our our pod experience and things. Yeah. And I can finally bang on about all the things I love about that game. Yes. I've been working on um, this uh, a lore guide, Tom, mm. that I'm doing for you, um, for PC Gamer. Indeed, uh, look out for that later on this week. Yeah. PCGamer.com. May even be up by the time this pod goes up, I imagine. Mm, probably. Well, hopefully. Maybe. Given the deadline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, no, in that case, it definitely will. I don't, I don't know when you're applying to publish it. That's what they're going to say. That. Of course, yeah. it'll be on time. <laughs> um, but it's been nice revisiting a game whose fiction I really, really love as well. Like, yeah, the um, fiction is great. And uh, so poorly communicated. <laughs> one of my favourite game fictions uh, and one of the most cumbersome delivery mechanisms for that, mm-hmm. lore, I would say. Which is uh, anyway. Are you saying all, that? Yeah. Um, law printed on trading cards that can only be accessed outside of the game is not the most ideal way of delivering. <laughs> yeah, particularly when you know if you're actually interested in that law, you have to flip over, uh, you know, individual cards to get paragraphs <laughs> that <laughs> eventually combine into a narrative. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, it's, it's a it, testament how good it is. I know. I still. I don't I regret any of that. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I have did. memories of it, but like fond memories of it. But, yeah. <laughs> I did it all as well. Like I went through all those fucking cards, but my god, <laughs> don't do that into your game. Uh, that's I hope, certainly something they've learned from. I'd be perfectly okay with a website that aggregated. Like actually, to be fair, what they tried to do is brilliant. Which is like if you had, if for example, the Mass Effect Codex was always available to you either via an app or on like a website that you logged into with your oh, profile yeah. account. You could browse so it. that yeah, yeah, so that yeah. you're not you know you finish up with Mass Effect at home, you go to work, but then on lunch break you can read through the Codex entries you haven't had time to read yet. That is a brilliant idea for any game with the Codex. Uh, you know, any game that would benefit from having you do the reading when you're not playing. Yeah, for sure. Let me do it when I'm on the loo. Let me do it when I'm you know on the way to work or, or whatever it is. However, um, actually, uh, Phantom Pain did this because Phantom Pain had the app that yeah. let you download the audio logs to your app and then listen to them like podcasts, which is, again is a brilliant Fantastic idea. Fantastic idea, isn't it? Like that would benefit enormously. That's how you do audio logs and codex entries right. Mm. Like have them be detachable from the game mm. because otherwise, because people who are with a you know keyboard and mouse in hand waiting to play a game probably don't want to stop and read uh, like i do but like because mm. i secretly miss books and can't remember where they went um <laughs> like the you know um this is a brilliant idea it's just that De- destiny made that the only way of accessing that stuff which is dumb mm. it's really dumb however i did enjoy the experience of reading all that stuff wherever i was which was the flip side of it there's going to be an amazing post-mortem destiny one eventually um yeah because my god that game has gone through some stuff i'm sure yeah i mean there already was the interesting making of on kotaku which yeah that was some of the that really interesting things did that illustri- um, especially the engine problems um particularly with because regards to the construction of levels which is the thing i always felt when i was playing it mm. um where there were just obvious exploits that didn't get fixed for ages just with the geometry of the game and it turns out that apparently like it's just the engine the the tools they, they had were incredibly cumbersome and difficult to work yeah with. i said that like in order to like move a rock on a level that was like a 72 hour like compiling process yeah. to decompile and recompile <laughs> the level yeah. to move a rock apparently uh, you got that article but yeah it yeah. sounds based on you know having experienced that game for it, its entire lifetime that sounds completely plausible yeah based on like, the stuff we've got a new environment first. did you make the other one blue yes <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, I love that game, but yeah, very, yeah. very interesting problems as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be, it's an exciting end of the year. I assume, I assume. 
Do they have announced a release date for it? Yeah, they uh, September is the rumor, based on some posters. Oh yeah, of course, and also the fact that when almost like Destiny's always had a big September release. And it's also release. when it, you know, <laughs> according to any AAA release, it will come out. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Destiny One came out in September. The yeah. first big expansion came out in September, and the second big expansion came out in September. Yeah. So I'm just gonna just gonna just throw it out Poirot the shit out of this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, very exciting. Awesome. Shall we do questions? What? Where did you come from? <laughs> the other room. I've been here oh, all yeah. along. Yeah. Now I remember that happening yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> it's almost as if there hasn't been a 20 to 30 minute break in which Pip appeared. Mm. Hi, Pip. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. How's the pop been going? All right. Any consensus there, Toms? Nothing on fire. <laughs> it's certainly all right, but we needed a keeper of grudges for this particular uh, section. And I am here. Also an answerer of questions, because I'm not sure we're equipped at this stage <laughs> of the evening. Oh, has it been? How far down the whiskey bottle are you? Gone. All <laughs> the way. <laughs> there wasn't much when I was pouring myself a bit. <laughs> it's gone now. But our first question comes from Alex, who writes, It's World Penguin Day. I know, what? Exciting. Sorry, I mean, it won't be by the time people listen to this. It'll still be exciting. It won't be Penguin Day. <laughs> the residual excitement will last. Yeah. Sorry. What's your favourite penguin in video games? Failing that. Best tuxedo. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> like he predicts the failure of his question. <laughs> I'm going to assume... I like the old double question gambit. Uh, I, like I do have a favourite video game penguin, and it's the Mecha Penguin from Little Big Adventure, hmm. which is a wind-up explosive penguin. Uh, you wound it up, and then it waddled along, and it would blow up and destroy your enemies. Good. <laughs> Good penguin all round. <laughs> nice. All the key penguin qualities it had. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forwards, exploding. <laughs> I liked... Um, I, I've been tinkering a bit in, uh, David O'Reilly's game, Everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Graham did the review for RPS. And, uh, as part of it, he put some screenshots up and he'd made a penguin the size of a landmass. And so it's just this enormous thing that's like its head is peeking out over the top of the sea. <laughs> it's just did- sort of glaring. <laughs> <laughs> David O'Reilly's game concepts sound like you asked a three-year-old what kind of games you want to make, and there's everything, like, mountain, <laughs> everything. <laughs> but yeah, I want to get to the point where I can spawn a giant penguin that will destroy us all. Mm. Mm. Sounds good. Everyone aspires to have a family one day, Pip. <laughs> what? That's the opposite of a family. <laughs> no, it's not going to that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> penguin that will destroy <laughs> us all. <laughs> They're definitely different. I'll give you that. <laughs> Thank you. That's oh, we finally found out what it means when Pip says opposite. <laughs> it means different. <laughs> um, I think my favourite penguin would be... Well, I've really enjoyed the all of the protests that have taken place in Club Penguin. Mm. There was an anti-Trump protest in Club Penguin. That, that was... doesn't exist anymore, though. Club Penguin. Mm, folded. It's, it still exists in time. <laughs> what? Yeah, but I mean, it's Penguin Resort now, isn't it? Or Island Club Resort, or Club Penguin House, or something. <laughs> you know, like, and it's mobile oh, yeah. only. But I mean, I was I was describing something that occurred in the past, 
And that can't be taken away from me, Pip. Not by you, not by anybody. But also, you said that they occur in Club Penguin. They can't now. I suppose so. Mm. Sorry. Wasn't yeah. it also featured in the film Three Lions? The, uh, Club Penguin? Yeah. Uh, it's impossible because apparently it doesn't exist. <laughs> and therefore it's never existed. <laughs> That's how time works. <laughs> it's gone now and it was forever gone. <laughs> it's actually oh. a destiny plot point. Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Club Penguin was removed from history and therefore we can't mention it. And in doing so, I've condemned this particular episode of the podcast to timeline B. The Star Trek time police will show up. <laughs> exactly. Erase this it's podcast. Not, it's not in prime continuity anymore. Um, but nonetheless, that that's my preferred. <laughs> I like my penguins woke. Tom? Um, I, I think that games are underserved by penguins. I think we need more penguins. Okay. Yeah. That was a very politician answer. That was a complete question time. I didn't prepare this question. Yeah. <laughs> it's not in my clipboard. I can't I don't know what to say. So. Binders full of penguins. All I can say all I can say is that uh my you know the, the honourable member on the opposite side of the aisle has clearly not provided the British people with the level of penguin that they believe is appropriate. Higher or lower than what we're talking about. <laughs> I say penguins have always existed and they will exist and they will continue to exist. And that is a positive thing for the British people. <laughs> wow, we're good at this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should totally do question time from question time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up on, on question time from question time, it's Carlos who writes, Daisy is still in early access. How is that even acceptable? It's been more than three years since it became available. What to do, if anything? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, the clue's there. <laughs> I was saying nothing. But uh, I was slightly, I don't know, mildly annoyed. Uh, the Long Dark was it like a midweek madness sale on Steam, 50% off. And I was like, oh, is it finally out? No, it's not finally out. It's still in early access. Doing a half-off sale and it hasn't even been released yet. Madness. <clears throat> it is madness. <laughs> Why did they give me a clue in the title of the sale? <laughs> Infuriating Wednesdays on Steam. <laughs> baffling bi-weekly. Yeah. Oh, come on Thursdays. <laughs> Actually, baffling bi-weekly would be great because also no one knows what bi-weekly means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck this fortnightly. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Daisy is certainly a beacon of disappointment, I think, for the entire early access project, though, I would say. It's the, the defining uh, letdown <laughs> of that entire phenomenon. It, uh, I mean, was it, wasn't it good for a long time? Is it, is it still it good? Was, it was novel uh, okay. for a I while. I think it was genuinely good. It was, most, it was genuinely most good. people had a load of it was good experiences with it. Yeah. But, but uh, it was also, like, it's, it was, like, a mess when people were finding it exciting at the time. Yeah. So zombies were still walking through walls and weren't really a concern. But they'd stumbled upon, like, a, a use for the armor template that actually had a wider mm. appeal. And for a, a while, the novelty of that sustained it. But the game did not improve significantly, mm. as far as I could tell from that point, very much. And I suppose, like, when it was a mod, the fact that it was a mess was... Um, uh, acceptable and then when you paid your money because it was an early access the fact that it was a mess was sort of a temporary condition you were thinking like oh, i pay my money if i'm gonna get the polish you, version you assume that yes yeah but that is not the case so yeah daisy is a good thing to highlight as a reason as, as a warning sign if you're gonna invest in any early access game 
I do think that it's that thing of you should only put your money down if you don't mind if the game doesn't go any further. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, you know, and with Kickstarter, I wouldn't, or any crowdfunding, I, again, don't put money in unless you're happy to never see a return on that investment. Like if you can't afford to lose that money or you're going to be devastated if it doesn't mm. go well, then, you know, that's a gamble I wouldn't take. Mm. Quite quite wise andrew writes um i'm gonna skip a little ahead through this question because it's quite long but um andrew is is getting ready to go to university and has uh decided not to take his gaming pc with him um but he has a a modest laptop with an i5 that's not particularly able to handle 3d graphics and his question is what games would he recommend that would be suitable to play on such a device he's gravitated towards well-known indie games so far um, but he's particularly looking for long games or games with lasting replayability, as he won't be buying any games during his time at university, as in his words, I will have no money. So, um, and so far, he lists as the games that he has planned, The Consuming Shadow, Darkest Dungeon, Metal Gate, Metal Slug, 1, 3, and X, Gunpoint, Hatfall, Democracy 3, Limbo, Nidhogg, Binding of Isaac, Undertale. And that's from Andrew. Uh... I want to recommend Concrete Jungle, uh, which is a game I talked about on the spot before, and so is Graham uh, way, way back in the day. Um, but that is a, a game that looks gorgeous, but it isn't actually 3D graphics. It's, you know, a bunch of sprites, and so it runs really well on my uh, MacBook Air, which also has integrated graphics. And I think an i5, I think it's, it sounds like similar spec to a laptop he's running. And that game just has fucking endless depth to it <laughs> it's got this enormously long single player campaign with all these unlockable characters and abilities all these skill trees this versus mode that you can play in single player against ai that has all these tiers to it and there's just so much to it mm. i think one of the things that <clears throat> sorry excuse me one of the things that um makes this hard to answer is knowing the screen size of his laptop because resolution i remember because i was at uni with a rubbish laptop that's why i played so much n which is a game <laughs> i would still recommend actually um, but the resolution you can run games at is an issue. That notwithstanding, I definitely put Invisible Ink in this category. Oh yeah, definitely. And FTL, it seems like an obvious one, but yeah, banged on about it. And there's a game called Spelunky <laughs> that, um, we've not mentioned before, but yeah, um, <laughs> would probably fit mm. here as well. Um, there's loads, like you sort of, this is a, a you know, when I went to university ten years ago, <laughs> and I had to make do with the dawn of the indie revolution with games like N, and I can't remember what else there really was that would run on a shitty old laptop. Like now, it seems like an amazing time that you could go to uni and play nothing but great indie strategy yeah, yeah. games forever, hmm. RPGs and things. Um, there's loads. And nonetheless, if you, if you have a low-ish resolution screen, there are loads of games that really suffer from trying to run them from high res on high res mm. screens um including especially Diablo 2 which is still sold by Blizzard on uh, Battle.net and I, I bought it actually like a few months ago Tom why I bought <laughs> Diablo 2 again <laughs> digitally uh, I heard Jeff Kaplan saying he's bought Overwatch three times <laughs> paid for a retail <laughs> copy of Overwatch three times um I just kind of wanted to see what it was like and it was it's a disaster on modern systems um, because the resolution oh. is just con- converted one to one, so everything is fucking tiny. On oh wait, so do you screens. see more of the game world? Yeah, yeah. Huh. I think so. Well, um, 
Gunpoint also has that problem. <laughs> so um, <laughs> hopefully on your relatively small laptop screen, you'll be fine. If you have some kind of like retina bullshit where it's like secretly f- four and a half thousand pixels wide, then it'll be terrible. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Tom is sorry for your bullshit. <laughs> There's also, um, would, uh, I've forgotten literally everything I was going to say. But <laughs> what about a game on the laptop? Oh no, it was something that you can play a lot of. Devil daggers? Would mm. that work? Oh, yeah, that That's probably would game. work. Actually. Um, that is three D, right? But it, <clears throat> it is three D, but, but it's it, lo-fi. The the other thing that I was going to say is that um, with the caveat that Andrew and I appear to have entirely different tastes to the point where. I don't think I get on very well with most of the things he mentioned or don't own them. Um, I would thoroughly recommend keeping an eye on um, Itch.io, the store, because a lot of the stuff on there is interesting, sort of uh, small scale projects that Mm. um, you often have the option of getting free of charge or maybe a dollar or you know something like that and there can just be some really fascinating stuff in there or like the the building blocks for a thing that is interesting or you know little projects to pass the time and i i think people it it seems to be the sort of store that is growing in profile but it's still the sort of thing where it's a very particular community that is really familiar with it or that trawls it regularly because mm. it's a bit of a pain to find super cool stuff you you maybe would have to put in a bit more mm. effort but um yeah i would thoroughly recommend that for surely that's where excellent itchy recommendations on rockpapershotgun.com come in isn't mm, it because alice and i will happily yeah. <laughs> happily sit there playing things from that i think thinking about further other games in this category i would recommend factorio if you're interested in management games at all that's a factory building mm. game that is also pretty lo-fi um i ran dota on my cardboard laptop you did so, and that's a game that can eat into your, <laughs> into yeah, your life like your i don't play that at university so this is an element of actually like even though you want games that are kind of replayable over a long period of time, like I would definitely recommend uh, um, short form things like N plus plus actually because you can play them in five minute bursts, and you know it's a, it's a magical three years of your life. You want to be spending it in Animal Crossing, like I yes. did. Yes, or Stardew Valley <laughs> might be another one that would be a good choice <laughs> for this. Yeah. It depends on how you want to divide your time at university. Really, I don't know. Also, um, um, because I use a MacBook Air for development a lot. I kind of have to optimize heat signature for that kind of laptop. So when that's done, it should run on his laptop. <laughs> well, if we're going there, Tom, why not buy hack mud? <laughs> why not? I think you, you should. should play my nature twine game as well. Indeed. That will run. <laughs> they all work on your laptop. And, <laughs> and yours. And yours at home. <laughs> Our next question uh, well, actually, it's, a, it's more of a, a response to a, a question from last week. It comes from Diffractor, who's also Peter, but asked us to use Diffractor because someone else wrote in whose name was Peter, and this is now confusing. So he's going to Peter be Peter Pileup. A Peter Pileup. Mm-hmm. Indeed. That's all. That's all <laughs> I had. <laughs> Bant received. <sighs> dear, oh dear, oh dear. 
Adding to last week's discussion of games taking you out of reality, and this is referring to the question last week about the person who was sort of grieving and, and wanted to know about games that are good at, sorry, um, helping you take your mind off bad situations. Adding to last week's discussion of games taking you out of reality, I feel this is a little appreciated part of why MMOs are enjoyed, particularly World of Warcraft. I play that a lot now, often because games I know I would enjoy more take too much mental effort to sustain, and more relaxed games don't feel satisfying. WoW mimics the feeling of being productive without the same stresses of being productive in reality, and it helped me feel useful while also numbing the heavy depression that I had. On the flip side, I've invested so much in it that it becomes hard to break out of those patterns when I know that I want to devote uh, when I know I want to devote my time elsewhere. The better I've felt, the less I've wanted to Warcraft but I don't want to fall behind on it. Though that's no fault of the game so much as it's a fault of human impulse. And realizing that has made me a better person. I'm more able to accept missing out on things. So this leads on to a question. I can feel WoW changes. It tries to provide a reward without players ruining their experience getting it. What game systems have you seen or even thought of that sounded good, but that resulted in players choosing to have a miserable time? Um, regards diffractor so i i know he wants to read that out mostly because it's a nice response to something like a personal journey with these types of games i think i mentioned mmos in the context of the discussion last time for their social benefit but i think that sense of sort of it's a little bit what you're saying about elite earlier that middle level of engagement way on you're getting stuff done and you feel useful but it's not neither mm. totally stressful nor totally mm. passive is a a uh an important sweet spot for a game to occupy since he mentions both like systems we've seen and also systems we've thought of, um, I guess I can mention like things I've rejected for my own games. Sure, yeah. um, so in Heat Signature, it's a persistent galaxy, but your characters have permadeath. Like when you die, that character is dead forever. And a logical thing to do would be like when you start a next character, you go and find your previous character's body and get all their stuff back. But if I let you do that, A, the start of every life now is just going to be trekking out to wherever you happen to die. It's going to be a kind of chore to get there. Mm. And then when you do get there, you're going to pick up all that guy's equipment. And if it's really good, you're just going to have the same experience that that character had. Like, it's just going to make your individual playthroughs more similar to each other rather than more different. And it's one of those things that sounds good in theory, but actually if you make it, it just ends up making the game worse. Yeah. I think um, I think of this whenever I think of... Um... To be honest, despite them being some of my favorite games, I think Bioware have often struggled with this, which is locking a narrative payoff behind a kind of grindy thing that can be min-maxed. It's just a really flawed way of constructing a narrative game that encourages people to play in a way that is actually detrimental to their experience in mm. order to get the thing that's important to them, which is a positive narrative payoff. So the moment, like, you can ruin Mass Effect 1 for someone by saying there's a really funny payoff if you get, I'm sorry I'm doing this right now, um, there's a really funny payoff if you get all of the bizarrely hidden galaxy map collectibles in Mass Effect 1, there's a funny payoff in Mass Effect 3. And as soon as you know that, a certain streak of player is going to be set to do all that stuff, even though it's literally just dragging your cursor around an asteroid belt until something pings. Mm. And that's just, you don't need it. You don't need the padding. You might as well just deliver the fun thing without needing the you know, needing to reward grindy, boring stuff. Pip? Um. <laughs> Hi. What did you spill? Nothing. Is that a lie? No. Um, anyway, so there's... <laughs> <laughs> 
help. <laughs> what happened? What's what, in your mug? No, no, it's fine. Oh, no. Oh, oh, okay. I've... <laughs> oh, I've guessed. Pippa's drink around Pip, it. Pippa's drop day. <laughs> Star Wars role playing game uh, skill check dice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> into her whiskey. I was just playing with it in my hand so that I didn't get distracted. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> Shut up. I'm gonna. Can I have my whiskey? Yes, back? you absolutely can. Can I? have my dice thank you okay uh, <laughs> it's clean well, now actually fair, alcohol was very good thing. That, that was Just a fair swap anyway so what i was going to say <laughs> uh, was it, if you're interested in systems that end up sort of not quite working how people expected it's try playing with a dice whilst drinking live with hip <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to watch, uh, to watch the uh the patches that happen in MOBAs a little bit after a big change because usually that's the shut up that's the developers responding to the ways that players are exploiting it that they didn't expect mm. or that didn't come out when when they were testing it on the um mm. on the beta servers with a smaller yeah. audience the hot fixes <laughs> yeah or just the fact that oh there's this particular interaction that this one person found and it went around the internet and it's now you know the only thing that anyone does because in a game where you're essentially trying to get every advantage you can over someone it doesn't make sense not to exploit yeah. everything that you can possibly do so yeah like it i i would say if that's just a thing that you're curious about um league does a set of massive um changes every year after worlds um in the pre-season and also like a smaller sort of ones in lulls uh, throughout the year so it's kind of it's worth keeping an eye on their blogs and on the forums and things for just oddities that respond that um that stem from that cool save that I did <laughs> i think this dice will be fine well, give it all chris what number, what number comes out what number comes out is uh, it's a triumph symbol and a success symbol. So that's fine. There you go. It's absolutely it's fine. Only. I mean, admittedly, this dice can have. only runs. This dice can only roll success and blanks. So, <laughs> and there nice. is only one blank face on There's it. There's a skull on it, isn't there? No. What's that then? That that. that. It's a winged Jedi symbol. But, uh, <laughs> right, we're not getting into this. Does that mean success? What? Yes. Oh god. It means technically a good. It means advantage. Technically, you don't want me to get into the. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, the the mechanisms of Star Wars role playing. Well, can't the Jedi's just like change the dice to whatever they wanted anyway? They're not real. <laughs> but though that literally is a plot point in the Phantom Menace. Thank you for reminding me. Well, anyway, can we do a different question and move away yes. from the incident? I don't know why I sat you next. Oh my god! Are all of those mon- <laughs> models f- fallen? Oh for God sake, Pip! <laughs> I. Mm, they're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of TIE Fighters lying down on my shelf now. Are those the dice from the dice tray? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try. There's no. a Blue Horror surfing on a ship as well. <laughs> I'm really pleased about that one. <laughs> You've only been in the room for half an hour. What a half an hour it was. Anyway. Anyway, the next question um, comes from Dan, a.k.a. The Spear Tip. 
who writes, Dear something uh, that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, so I'm not going to try. And honestly, screw you for trying to get me to say that. <laughs> Have you ever listened to the soundtrack for a game before playing slash seeing any of said game, thus forever ruining it for you? I shall explain, semicolon. I sh- uh, incidentally, if you put a semicolon in your questions, I will always, <laughs> I will always read it out like that. Um, I stumbled onto the soundtrack for Crypt of the Necrodancer around the time of the game's release and found it great for helping me power through mindless tasks in work with my headphones on. Since then, though, I've been unable to bring myself to play the game even once because I'm so used to hearing the music out of context that hearing it in context would just be weird. I could just turn the music off, I suppose, but where's the point in that? Uh, cheers, you lot have kept me company on many a hundred-mile-a-day work commute over the years. Dan. Wow. Jesus, mm. a long commute. Yeah. The um, the Crypt of the Necrodancer problem is one that you could solve by um, there's a function where you can substitute the game's music for your own and you lose a bit with that just in terms of um, you don't get the shopkeeper singing when you go to the shop. <laughs> um, but it's uh, you still it it doesn't get in the way of using the rhythm side of things because the game sort of adapts um if i remember rightly and i know all of this because i uh i i substituted the song well all of the music in the entire game for the village peoples in the navy and forget about that and then every time i boot the game up uh it happens and then i remember and i enjoy it for a time and then i remember that perhaps one can have slightly too much in the navy and <laughs> as the saying goes <laughs> and then have to leave for a time <laughs> I, I haven't gone back to Metal Gear Solid 5, but you've reminded me that when I do, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised to find that when the rescue helicopter comes in, it's going to be playing uh, Too Many Zoos. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy panic jazz. Um, I actually do get where this question is coming from, because I tend to avoid over-listening to soundtracks for anything, because I feel like I hate the feeling of watching a film or playing a game and knowing what track it is from the soundtrack, at least until mm. a film or a game has received, like, reached such a point of saturation with me that I can do that. What I've always found weird is when, uh, like, when there's a song that's really popular and it's like, oh, it's the theme from this m- film, and it only plays for 30 seconds at the very end of the credits, and you're just like, really? It's the credit <laughs> the music, theme? not the theme. Like, that's not... it. For me, that feels so weirdly disingenuous. This is not a grudge that should be part of a gaming podcast, I realise, <laughs> though. So, I Speaking of that, I do play heat signature with the music off always uh even though i really love the music because i know if i listen to the music every time i play it i'll be fucking sick of the music by the time the game comes out (laughs) because music you just can kind of you know wear on you more than other things i think Mm. and so every time i show it to like press or something i've made like a build i'm going to show to someone else obviously i turn the music back on so they can hear it and then i hear it and i'm like holy shit this game has great music (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome Next question comes from Juice. And if there were ever a Tom Senior and Chris question, it's this one. Who am I? Dear thing and other thing. I also appreciate the amount of effort you've put in. <laughs> <laughs> to that, that lead. 
I recently got back into the whole Warhammer tabletop gaming thing, in no small part due to you guys talking about it in the special podcasts. I never found the old Warhammer fantasy world particularly compelling, and I'm quite enjoying Age of Sigmar's slightly more unusual fantasy setting. The PC games all seem to be stuck in the old world, though, both the stuff that's already out, like Total Warhammer, and Left for Skaven, he means Vermintide, but I totally get what he means, mm. um, and the in-development but not yet released stuff that I've seen. Are there any plans for a PC game set in AOS that you're aware of? What kind of game would you like to see if they do announce such a thing? Mr. Juice. Tom? Well, I would not expect an Age of Sigmar game anytime soon. And by that, I mean, like, within a decade. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, because I think that the old world uh, is kind of old property to Games Workshop, and that's kind of, they can make money mm. of it through games, uh, which is an interesting time for for, uh, for old, old world Warhammer. But I think as far as the new setting goes, they're so... They're going to be so keen to keep control of it and to manage it and to make sure that they're in control of it that I can't see them giving the license to anyone for a long time. Yeah, that's probably true. But money. But they're making money from miniatures and they're mm. like that. That's that. Then they're not uh, a games publishing. They're not a game kind of games manufacturer at all. Like they they want to make miniatures and they want yeah. people to buy their miniatures and buy into their games. And I think that it would, they would genuinely dilute the AOS setting if they gave it to a studio that did a bad job of it. And I don't think they will risk doing that for years. I'm going to offer the flip side to this, mm. which is that AOS as it currently stands, the thing that distinguishes it from traditional Warhammer is that it's not very heavy at the moment. It's a very light setting mm. compared to the old world, which is what we're talking about, which is the kind of Renaissance fantasy <laughs> very sort of rich kind of very specific setting that makes for a perfect setting for a strategy game like Total War Warhammer, but is all about kind of quite granular kind of um, places and locations and characters and things. Um, Age of Sigma, because it's in its formative stages, is very much about like big iconic characters and big iconic character archetypes and everything being sort of larger than life and very um, vividly drawn, but kind of detached from a sense of sort of material reality. They're going in that direction with the fiction, but they're getting there slowly. Hmm. And therefore, I'm going to slam down my Star Wars dice and say, it is very fertile ground for a MOBA. Oh. <laughs> I, really, I, sorry. <laughs> it really is. If Games Workshop were ever going to... Uh, they already did, didn't they? There's like a 40k MOBA in the works, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Why would cool, that not fall under the same like uh, approach as what Tom said? Like, does the world need another MOBA? And if it is going to be a solid six out of ten game, yeah, what's I the mean, point of so the, adding it? The struggles of the... launching it. Well, okay, maybe maybe I don't mean like you know a MOBA a MOBA in the most generic possible sense. What I mean is the thing that distinguishes Age of Sigmar within within that family of tabletop games is that it is notably more kind of hero-focused. That's probably one of the things that will continue to distinguish it, I suspect, as a new edition of 4 Gate comes along, is that it will continue to be the game that has, like, the individual big powerful characters. Hmm. Um, I think there is something in a, if not a, a, a by-the-numbers MOBA, but, like, something in a, a character action game, a Diablo game, that kind of thing, that could easily be built around. 
that fluid setting that wouldn't necessarily work in other Warhammer contexts. I'd play that. Something I'm going to chip in. <laughs> I know. So the challenger approaches. As somebody who has seen the cover of many uh, an episode of White Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Issue? <laughs> Shush now. What is it? What is Stop a helping. <laughs> um, I feel qualified to offer an opinion. And it is that the people at Games Workshop seem to really like uh, involving the fan community and, you know, heroing the projects that uh, people who love their games do. And so I would be, I would think it would be a better fit for them if they did some things like running game jams, like community projects that are just sort of, you can tool around with the setting, uh, just do not sell this and we'd like to publish the results of it on our website, you know, or, mm. you know, point people towards things that people are doing that are really interesting in the same way that they highlight uh, paint jobs that, that people have done that are fantastic or, you know, stories that people have written. I, I think that would, that feels like that would be a better fit for, for who they are as a company and how they propagate their community mm. yeah that'd be an interesting approach for them to take would be i just can't see them ever doing like they're still very very protective of their law particularly the, like the mm. or ip as you might say like especially if they're crafting this new thing and i'm not entirely sure that games workshop workshop entirely knows what aos is yet still as a universe it still hasn't been fleshed out to the extent that it's a 40k or you know, Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, it doesn't have a central it, it, kind of philosophical conflict. It, it's in a, it's in a, a, like a vulnerable stage, I think, as like a, a law would, you know, mm. as law progresses. It's not fully fledged. It's not fully fledged. <laughs> no. And uh, so in that context... Which is weird for something with so many feathers in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So in that context, why would you ever give that to people outside of the company ever? Mm. Like you'd never trust anyone else to like realize it for you that's your job to do as a company and i think guys watch still in the process of putting that together but and I it's think, going to be years before it happens i think that's where what i'm getting at with the community side of things because i think that wouldn't be a case of you know letting people run riot with your property in the same way as as farming out a license might be i think it that might be an interesting exercise in um seeing what a community actually does you know mm. in terms of how they play with it how they engage with it what they find interesting yeah and maybe digging into the stories that that your fans are actually telling when they play these things i think that might just be interesting yeah it could be like a as, as much as anything, like a really great intelligence gathering. Yeah. Yeah. Just I like, think, yeah. I think you're right, actually, Pip, because one of the interesting things about AOS, and I'm without drifting too far into the territory of the other podcast, but, um, it's the, it is currently the Warhammer setting where you can exercise the most creativity as a player and still have something that fits within the world. Mm. The old world was limiting because it had defined boundaries. 40k is limiting because it has defined boundaries. AOS kind of doesn't. Um, one of the armies, the miniatures armies that, that I think won best army at the, the huge Age of Sigmar event that took place over the last weekend was a, like a Cthulhu themed Nurgle force that looked amazing, but it was entirely the creation of its player and applying some of that. And that can, that can fit within that setting because the setting is still so young. Um, applying some of that logic to a game would be a really interesting direction that, that they could take totally. It's just, I also agree with Tom that it doesn't feel like Game Show Workshop to do that. 
yeah, it's like Pip's idea is a really good idea, but I think given <laughs> what that company has done in the past, there's no way yeah. that that would. Happen. And the reason I say that, like a character-focused game like a MOBA or even a fighting game or or, or a Diablo-style game would work hmm. is because the parts of that fiction that are quite well defined are the heroes and the character classes. So if hmm. I said to you, Tom, imagine playing a dungeon crawler where you could be a Lord Celestin or a Relictor or a Castellan, you probably have an intuitive sense of how each of those things would play differently, hmm. um, which is probably the, the sort of thing that they could leverage most successfully for a video game right now. But it's interesting because it's a genuinely new fantasy setting that hasn't had digital expression yet. And it'll be interesting to see what direction that takes when it happens for the first time, even that's even if that is ten years from now. Yeah, and I think I think the reason why I'm so skeptical about it is that the existing universes have still haven't been leveraged terribly well. So mm-hmm. 40k is an amazing uh, setting for an action RPG, and there are people making one right now. I can't remember what it's fucking called, but it's not good as far as I've played so far. Like it's really sluggish, and it's about like one person versus like uh groups of four people and there's destructible cover and stuff but the, the fantasy is like if you're a space marine captain or something like a, a, one of the ultimate warriors in this world you should be taking on hundreds of things the action rpg is a perfect vehicle for that and we still have not seen a, like a good amazing like an amazing action rpg 40k game that's a perfect vehicle um so I've, i really feel like maybe with the occasional exception like vermintide these licenses are not being picked up by people who necessarily know <laughs> what's going to work mm. with the fancy. With that settled, we move on to grudges from one Warhammer-derived thing to a different Warhammer-derived <laughs> thing. Our first is our first Twitter grudge, therefore it's very brief. It comes from Alex, but not the same Alex as earlier. I know this because when I wrote the questions down, I wrote different Alex. (laughs) Different Alex's grudge is as follows. Games that make you manually quit and relaunch when you want to apply graphics options changes. Yeah. Is this not a technical necessity? I think that if it's a game where you have to um where it takes a long or a significant amount of time to go in and reboot and make changes um you know and then if if that's not quite right or if you need to change them back and you have to go back out back in again i i do think that there should be a way of maybe accessing that screen earlier yeah you know Jesus maybe seeing a, a the, test um, you know uh everyone's gone to the rapture yeah, um, that's, had a fucking oh. minute and a half long intro that you have to sit through. You can't skip it in any way. And only after that's finished do you get to see how the game runs. And if you change any graphics options, you have to quit the entire game and start again. It doesn't save. So you yeah. have to watch the minute and a half intro again. And I, it ran like a dog on my machine, which runs everything else perfectly. And it just was an absolute nightmare. And every time I wanted to test a different graphic settings, I had to sit through a minute and a half intro all over again. And by that point, I just hated the game so much that <laughs> I was never going to play it. It was just, yeah. it literally destroyed the game. Fancy, if you didn't one. have the patience for that, 
died have the patience for the rest of the game <laughs> <laughs> that's the game that i was going to mention specifically actually because that experience of having to go out and back in again stuck with me but but for anything that my pc maybe struggles to load or where you know it, it, it has to run through a certain amount of stuff I'd, I'd prefer it if it had some way of knowing that you had made changes presenting you with you know maybe a sample scene obviously that Mm. that uses the tech in the same way and then you get like 10 seconds to say or 30 seconds to say oh that works or no actually yeah. i need to try something different because it is a problem that comes up and i think that people need to make allowances for that otherwise you do end up in situations where it just becomes such a palaver mm. that you either run the game on suboptimal settings just to stop having to go through it <laughs> Or, you know, you end up just feeling not very well disposed towards it for a while. Yeah, and any, like, unskippable logos on startup was added <laughs> to this time as well, which is just horrible. Like, I understand that there are sometimes contractual obligations that mean that they have to have those logos, but I'm pretty sure those obligations don't apply to when the user changes their graphic settings, we have to show those logos again, right? Mm. So you could have some special case where if the user's just changing graphical settings and they the reason we're restarting is because of that... You click this button and the game just takes care of it for you. And it's like, okay, we'll skip all that legal bullshit and get you as quickly as possible back to this menu and let you see the effects of that. Yeah. So I certainly think that, like, I, I will accept the, you know, I think we should accept the grudge because I think there are many ways that games could make that process easier and people kind of don't. And mm. I don't know whether that's because when people are testing, they know the machine that they're testing it for and what settings to, you know, like they've been working on the game so long that they kind of know. And so they just sort of don't have to deal with those things or they're working on a really high end PC because mm. whatever. Um, so, yeah, like I, I I think that it it makes sense to take it because it's really annoying. <laughs> it's in the book. Mm. Our final grudge comes from Joseph. Um, what manner of grudge voice do we want for this grudge? I didn't plan one. I think the community quite likes it when you do your sultry voice, but as long as it's not whispering, because otherwise I'm just not right, listening. I'll try and do. I, I, yeah, I'm sorry that I did a whispery. A whispery <laughs> otherwise, you'll just have to summarize. <laughs> I don't know how to. I mean, this is maybe says too much. I don't know how to do a sultry voice without whispering, really. Oh, God. Well, in that case, just do your announcer voice. Do it as if you're a town... Oh, no, that'll be loud. That will be loud. I don't know. Pick an adjective out of a hat. <laughs> out of a hat? Well, you know, just pick an adjective out of a hat. This is What about, like, someone who's really excited about their grudge? <laughs> a really chipper, upbeat yeah. grudge. <laughs> upbeat grudge. All right. And Joseph writes, Dear Grudge Keepers. <laughs> oh, God, I regret this. <laughs> it was the correct decision for me. It's advice, I think. At least 20 years ago, when I was a child and recently moved to a new country, I turned more than I'd ever had before to computer games. <laughs> I actually, I can see from the... violently as what? you say this as well. You're sort I, of... <laughs> it's why I, excitement is one of the emotions I very rarely express. I can <laughs> see how long this paragraph is and Chris might die. <laughs> might die if he keeps this up to the end. <laughs> Spare the man. However! 
Living in a wildly rural place, there weren't many places to get games from. So occasionally, I would get to go to the local big town, basically a small market town, and look at the mostly second-hand and remaindered games in the computer shop. This didn't stop me from getting occasional good games. I had X-Wing and SWAT 3. I've never seen you move so much when you're reading. It's the air quotes. (laughs) There's a lot of shoulder wiggle as well. They're missing the air quotes. (laughs) Which are still beloved games. However, the game that had excited and disappointed me most, which I still hold a bitter seed in my heart over, comma, was Sim Life. (laughs) (laughs) I'd played Sim City and Sim Ant back in my previous school, so the idea of Sim Life... A game that did for all of life and evolution was really amazing. But of course, this couldn't really work. And it literally did not work. (laughs) Of the four discs required to install it, only the first two worked. (laughs) While the third one would always fail. (laughs) This was because of hardware conflict. (laughs) That couldn't be resolved. <laughs> Apparently, sim life wasn't that good, but I'm still disappointed. <laughs> grudges from grudges, <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> Fantastic. That's the most I've ever moved on this podcast. But he sounded so happy. <laughs> Indeed. How could it possibly be a grudge? <laughs> I don't know why I've decided that I can't do another... I don't know why, A, I have to do grudges in a silly voice. Or B, why they have to be different every time. But fuck it. Marsh once mispronounced, thanks for listening, everybody, in episode one. And now we've been doing that for more than three years. Mm. Um, So I didn't... I remember this era of bargain bins, and I remember Sim Life being in basically every, with Sim Ant, Sim actually, Ant, yeah, for sure. in every yeah. bargain bin mm. of that era. So uh, I definitely resonate with this. Um, I love that how this letter lead, leads into like, uh, uh, obviously such a lofty idea, it couldn't possibly work. And also, literally didn't work. <laughs> Two of the discs just didn't work. Hey, I really thought this was going to go in a direction where it was more about like, you know, the the fact that this game was a precursor to Spore, which also <laughs> sort of didn't work. And, you know, the, this, this again, one of those gaming lofty ideals that is really hard to hear, right? Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a noise from Tom. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, indeed. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, Pip, does it go in the book of grudges? Okay, so I do want to know one thing, which is why not take it back and get a replacement? From a bargain bin. Oh, was it in a bargain bin? Might I not have been clear of how your... excited I was about the entire okay, thing. Okay, fine. Oh, if it was from a bargain bin, then yeah, no, that is... Yeah, no, that's a grudge. That's... It sh- <laughs> it sh- I mean, it should have worked, yeah. That's basic consumer rights, that is. <laughs> it feels like a grudge from 20 years ago, doesn't it? Like, I yeah. think it literally you, is. <laughs> I also, I, wrong you with know, that, but... points for, for nursing it that long. That is a grudge. That's that, a pip that really... grudge. Yeah, well done for not letting it go or getting what? on with your yeah. life. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, no, I, I feel like this person probably has a, a life. It's just that this... <laughs> oh, oh, gracious. No, but, you know, it's... Uh, they, 
I'm, I'm refuting Tom's awful <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how you sticking up for him always sounded worse than my <laughs> disparaging him. But what I'm saying is I think that, you know, it takes guts to have the courage of your convictions that you've been wronged. And, that, yep. yeah, that that's the hallmark of a good grudge. You've been wrong. You have been wronged. Excellent. Well, it, it might make the the questioner feel better to know that Spore was really, really hard to make. And that <laughs> a lot of those people, you know, really went through a lot to try and make that, that same vision come true. And still failed. <laughs> <laughs> By many people's standards. I actually really like Spore, but most people don't. I love bargain buckets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love buckets into Jack's uh, <laughs> But I felt before the pod, which is imminently about to end, uh, imminently about to, obviously, we say imminently, it's about to. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, Bargain Buckets are the source of uh, some of my favourite games. I uh, discovered Shin Megami Tensai series huh. mm. from Bargain Buckets, um, the early ones, which were incredibly bizarre and very grindy Japanese uh, RPGs for PlayStation 2, which uh, has now become the Persona 5 series. You know, Persona oh, right. See, yeah. I really loved <laughs> the, um, the three for a tenor games that you could get in-game in, in a similar bargain vein. So that's where I got the Murder, She Wrote uh, video game and, you know, other point and clicks. And I think that's where I picked up Bejeweled as well. It was in that same, you know. Man, you could get three games for a tenner there and then get three bottles of wine for a tenner at the co-op. <laughs> and you would be set for like... That's a weekend. <laughs> yeah, a weekend. Well, I mean, you could get... What? <laughs> that's not the period of time, Tom. <laughs> yeah, of course, a weekend. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> 45 you minutes. You could also get like what some lambrini from spa for like two quid and that comes in a really big bottle okay so you get five of those for the for the tenner yeah, Look, yeah. all right we all if remember the noughties <laughs> yeah um what percentage is lambrini uh well it's perry so it's basically cider but pears right so it's whatever percentage cider is like five or six so essentially you might as well have bought cider but i mean it's cheap mm. and lambrini girls have Probably get drunker off the three bottles of wine. Let's try. <laughs> Let's have an empirical like study for for this. I remember uh, traveling to Germany and going into a video game shop, and there were there's an enormous PC section, and the bargain bucket there was full of actually good things. And uh, <laughs> they've misunderstood this. <laughs> and the the walls are full of like the the old giant boxes that you mm. know people oh, yeah. get really nostalgic about in this country. That that trade still totally exists in Germany for yeah. sim games. Oh. So stuff like Farming Simulator will have boxed big boxed copies on shelves in mainstream in day, German huh. uh, game stores. In my day, games came in boxes that were bigger than your house. You would have to like because you couldn't fit the box inside your house. You just move your house inside the box. Uh, no, <laughs> would that explain it? <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm assuming that this is oh, is the snail shell their house? Literally, yeah. Okay, you could you could make it true for snails. <laughs> can make this happen. Yeah, no, that could <laughs> Listen, be snail. I can. <laughs> but... I can make this dream come true. Jim will fix it. For me. But I was just gonna say, is that is Sim Life likely to be on any like digital services? Because maybe this person could actually try it. Like, you know, years and be years Be disappointed in. freshly. <laughs> but, you know, it might be nice. Maybe we could find a way to reunite 
this questioner <laughs> with the game of their dreams. Does that but sound that a bit hard? Invalidate the grudge. It sounds like a lot of effort. <laughs> it sounds Let's like be honest. A modicum of effort, and it might invalidate the grudge. Yeah, uh, quite yeah. Right. This is not quite. This right. is not. This is not problems from problems. That's, <laughs> that's a section it's for not a future. From questions. <laughs> it's not question time from question time. Or wishes from listeners. Horses. <laughs> wishes from horses. If wishes were horses, they is right. Obviously, we grant the Tom. wishes of horses. <laughs> the wishes. And they're all just for like carrots and sugar lumps and stuff. <laughs> All right, uh, we've got a lot of those. Yeah, that's quite an easy podcast. It's fine. Right? <laughs> I love that the um, I love that the attempted Tom Senior. Let's get this thing back on track. <laughs> has been finally thwarted by the the War Francis tangent axis. <laughs> we shouldn't be sitting opposite each other. Yeah, we are. Like, well, I wouldn't say we're opposite. We're in different <laughs> no, places. You are. Oh, no. <laughs> no. You are literally opposite, so... Yeah, we are. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> We're just causing trouble. And that's all of the just spiralling nonsense <laughs> we have time for. Yay! If you would like to send us a question for a future episode of The Crate and Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us the questions at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Crate and Crowbar and hang out with our community. On our Discord channel, the link for which is on our website at CreightonCrowbar.com. Creighton Crowbar is very kindly supported by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to find out more about supporting the podcast and enabling us to do spin-off podcasts and so on, and some new projects soon to be announced, you can do so or find out more at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. Uh, this week, we are going to attempt a new form of plug. <laughs> And say that it would be very helpful for us if you enjoy the podcast to, and you use iTunes to, uh, rate and, and leave reviews for the podcast on there because it does make the podcast more visible. And equally, we do have a YouTube channel. Currently, it's predominantly used for the YouTube versions of these podcasts, if that's how you prefer to receive your podcasts. But nonetheless, um, likes and subscriptions there do make a difference to our visibility. And that's something that we'd like to make a little bit more of, which is why I've said, those words in that <laughs> particular order. If you would like to follow us as individuals, I am at C Thurston on Twitter. That's C T H U R S T E N. Pip is. I'm at Philippa War, which is at P H I L I P P A W A double R. Nice. Smooth. <laughs> Tom. Any Tom. <laughs> Tom at F Tom. is at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. And uh, Tom S is at PCG Ludo, which is L-U-D-O. Thanks for listening, everybody. I appreciate you putting more effort in this time, Tom Senior. Thank you very much. I've learned. I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Wait, what did you do last time? Listen to the end of the Miniatures podcast. Uh, yes, okay. uh, listen to our wonderful Miniatures podcast. Oh, yeah, we should put that if well. there's only two of you, then. Uh, yeah, well, quite. It's, uh, it's slacks. Called, it's called uh, Miniatures Monthly. And we talk about uh, adventures in hobby with uh, tiny plastic people that we paint and do wars with. Usually uh, we manage to silo off all of the Warhammer stuff And yet today we found a way. <laughs> um, also, yes. uh, yeah, Minch features an amazing theme song by Mike yeah. Debenham, um, provided completely unbidden, but nonetheless amazing. It's wonderful. And just listen to it for that Reason alone. alone.
Minutes Month is now available on uh, iTunes and YouTube as well, which wasn't previously. So Correct. you can get that now. I appreciate we've never done a longer bit than this after thanks for listening. Yeah, I thought the podcast was over. I didn't realize this was being recorded. No, it's <laughs> well, it's a plug, Tom. We either did the plug to nobody but the people in this room or we did it to everybody out there at home. Yeah. But nonetheless, I think this probably requires us to say goodbye again. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> thanks for listening. Then thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> oh, that kind of goodbye. <laughs>